G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On today's episode, we've got Luke from the Hunting Republic Podcast, Brackenware and Bowhunters Group of Australia Forum. How are you going, mate? Good, thanks, mate. That's a, that's a long tag that you've given me. <laughs> it is. It is. You've got your foot up in, in every little bit of the hunting industry over here, so it's a yeah. it's a good start. Yeah. You can... I feel like a... I feel like a, a a doctor with PhDs and MSDs and <laughs> maybe STDs. I don't know. <laughs> Anything's possible in this line. <laughs> you know, you spend you spend enough time out in the bush, you might might pick up chlamydia from a koala or something. A koala. That's right. That's right. No, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for no, having me on. All good. It's been a been a long time coming, and now that you've got your podcast under the way, I've been listening to that, and it got me even more excited to get you on. So. I appreciate that. Uh, it's been a fun little adventure so far. Just, um, I suppose, like uh, we talked a bit about earlier, kicking off a little, just a little, a little solo effort on the side there to um, lead on to a few bigger and better things with other ventures. So yeah, yeah that's that's been a, it's been a good fun thing. I, I sort of feel like we're peers now, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like that. The uh, podcasting, the hunting podcast community of Australia is only small. You know, there's only a dozen-ish of us all up who have podcasts on the go and, you know, had podcasts. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, a small little little venture. You've got your, got your first, first guys that kicked it off, like Jason from... Um, the Australian hunting podcast. And then you got a couple yep. of other guys yep. that came in a little bit after that. And then you've got the next wave from me, you, Matt, you know, all of these guys that are coming Tobias through and... now. Tobias. Yep. Uh, Chris. No, mate, it's, uh, well, I think uh, if, if anyone out there has had a listen to, to any of my episodes, like um, it's been mind blowing actually. Uh, you know, we were chatting and whatnot before I actually started it. Um, but, you know, you reached out and, and, and Matt and Dodge and, and Tobias and um, a few of the other guys. And that's been awesome. It, it's re- been really cool, actually. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's been something that I'm not, I'm not surprised by, but it's it's been really cool. You know, it's probably been almost the best part of it, I think. Yeah, it's um, an interesting little adventure to get into. You know, I'd, I'd done a couple of podcasts. I've probably done my first guest appearance on a podcast, uh, the Big Buck Registry, an American podcast, and that was probably eight, nine-ish years ago. And then I kind of got yeah, a bug, yeah. bug for doing that. And then, yep. you know, I'd done Australian Hunting Podcast. I'd done um, another American one um, and then Send It, Mate. And once I sat, actually sat down in the room, with a bunch of guys doing a podcast, I'm like, "Yep, this is what I want to do. Oh, I, I want to do this. This is this is great. Yeah, nice. Just talking shit with other hunters and conservationists and outdoor enthusiasts. I'm like, this is this is what I want to do. You know. And, it was, and, and the silly thing is, we we all like listening to it as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, you know, I, I let's, don't know. Let's all sit around and talk crap, and, and other people will listen to us sitting around and talking crap. So yeah. I, I yeah, don't know who's awkward. crazier the the guys sitting down recording the podcast or the, the fact that people actually listen to the shit we dribble. <laughs> <laughs> the people, the people like us who think we'll record this and we think people might want to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, I've spoken to a few other guys that have started started podcasts, and they're like, you know, we recorded about fifty before we actually released an mm. episode. And yeah, my yep. first my first episode I released like you know I sat down with yep. one of my best mates Luke and sat down you know had a couple of technical bugs that we kicked through you know and, <laughs> and then like the first three four episodes I had you know different things pop up I got locked out of my laptop for a month um, oh no like way just some weird weird security setting locked me out for a month so i I recorded the first two episodes released the first episode and then got locked out of my laptop so i couldn't (laughs) nobody heard from you again (laughs) (laughs) well you know uh i suppose people listening don't know the the rigmarole the the hoops that i just jumped through to get this audio (laughs) working but you set it all up and you get it all you know working smooth and then all of a sudden you start actually trying to do something and it no spits you out the window and (laughs) wouldn't work but we got there in the end mate didn't we yeah we did we did oh you know i've had it all i've had the internet cut out um i've had blackouts i've had you know heavy rain pours and thunderstorms in the background wow uh, last episode that was released i had I had um, my son come into the room, you know, it was like 9.30 at night and he's woken up and he's like, why is dad up? And, you know, he's outside crying <laughs> by the back. I'm like, is because oh, i got the headphones on. I'm like, is that a cat? Like, is there a cat squealing noise? outside my window? But no, nah, it's the, yep. the son at the, at the door. So I'm just like, hang on, mate, pause it. Left all that in, you know. <laughs> just so people know oh. what it's like for us podcasters, you know. <laughs> With podcasters with kids, yeah. So I've, I've set up my two girls in the far end of their house with headphones and iPads. So as long as the <laughs> batteries go from there, to sneak into bed and go to bed real quietly. As long as batteries <laughs> don't run out, you're fine. Oh no! See, oh, we're heading overseas. Uh, oh, in under a month now, and I've sorted it all out. So I've got a thirty milliamp hour, thirty thousand milliamp hour battery pack there with the two cords, and I'm like said to my wife, you know, if they run out of batteries, just plug these in and press go and it'll, it'll keep going. So Just have a look yeah, at the, um, the amp hours. You can only take so much amp hour of a battery pack. I was pack thinking that, plane. eh? Yeah. Because um, I got one of the, the King's battery packs for when I went over mm-hmm. to Snake Island, um, the ones that you can jumpstart the car with, but also, you know, charge all your devices yep. and that on. And yep. I'm just like, oh, sweet, oh, you know, I can take this to New Zealand. It'll be a good source. But nah, you can't fly with them. I'm like, God damn it. I actually had that in the back of my mind. So, yeah, I'll definitely get up. But um, it's, not, it's not even oh, something well. I've, I've thought of, you know. You can't even put them in your, um, in your suitcases. Like you, if you have battery packs, you can only have them on carry-on luggage. So. Yeah, 100%. And it's the same, like they, they have limits on um, LiPo batteries and stuff. And like I do a bit of um, – uh, drone work um, for my employment and um, yeah same if, if I have to go international with that or whatever there's real strict rules with how how many batteries and how how big the batteries can be and what charge state they have to be and the lipo bags have to be put in and all this sort of stuff so yeah it's just one of those things flying's always fun <laughs> that's, that's, I'll find out and towards the end of next month 14 hours straight from here to uh vancouver so yeah well yeah <laughs> you're flying with a bow for that one 
He's taking a bike. No, it's, no, it's a family holiday. So oh, three still, and a half months and no hunting. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's when you just me. slide a stick bow in. <laughs> well, I'll I'll also be spending uh, several weeks in Colorado, and the week before I I get there, my mate's got his tags for the week before I get there. <laughs> So I'm, I'm a bit upset about that, but um, yeah, we still might go for a bit of a walk and look around at least. But yeah, he's he's drawn his elk tags and that for the week before, so it's like, oh well, it's it's just the way it rolls. <laughs> yeah, a couple of um of the past guests off the podcast, um, Nathan who came over to Snake Island to help me out um on the hog deer hunt, and Jurgen who I went across to New Zealand and hunted with. New Zealand, yeah. Um, both of them are in Colorado at the moment, so oh wow, yeah. Cool. It's I've been getting you know if you're following them on Instagram you're seeing all the all the updates. Jurgen just took his first coyote and um, oh, Nathan's nice. you know is has been filming moose and pronghorn and bear and all of those things sending them through. I'm like oh damn. <laughs> One day. Oh, One yeah, day. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. let's let's kick off into the podcast. You know we've ram- sure, rambled yeah. on and no one knows anything about you. Whereabouts are you from? Yeah, uh, I actually live in a little little coastal town called Bagara, which is about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to the east of Bundaberg up in Queensland. Yeah, beautiful. Um, it is. It's a, it's a beautiful little bit of paradise. It's not too big. It's not too small. Um, in town, Bundy's 100,000 people, so it's a reasonable size and it's just down the road. So um, I s- sort of spent my teenage years here and moved away for university work, overseas work and stuff. And, um, yeah, when um, my wife and I decided we were moving back to to Australia, this is where we decided we'd want to be. And my wife definitely wanted to be down near the beach. So, yeah, it's, it's a really nice little spot, actually. Yeah, it's it's beautiful up there. I um. I went up to Bundaberg shit when I was probably 13 with my grandparents. We drove up from Adelaide here and right up the coast yep. and up to Bundaberg. That's about as high as we awesome. went. And, um, you know, the, the Bundaberg rum factory always stuck in my head as a tour. That was, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> it, stick, it sticks in my drink quite often. Actually. Yeah. I, I can um, imagine it'd be dangerous <laughs> living that close to that factory. I reckon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the other, I think we've mentioned it to you before. We were chatting online. My my wife's actually an Adelaide girl as well. She's from Stirling. Yep, yep. And um, we we were married down there in the in the garden of the cottage of their um their parents' place and had a reception at Mount Lofty Summit there. So yeah, I, I love that part of the world too, mate. It's Full beautiful. of deer there, man. Full of deer, deer everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm from. Yeah, awesome. Um, and what do you do for work? Oh, I'm actually a full-time uh, professional firefighter. Yeah, awesome. Um, been in the career for uh, 10 and a half, 11 years now. Yeah, so and prior to that was a, um, a PE science teacher. So did that for yeah, well, 10 years as well. A, that's a yeah. big jump, dip, big difference between, you know, being a PE teacher to a, a firefighter. Yeah, it's um, interesting. I had a, a bit of stint uh, doing some engineering and drafting in between, and and other studies as well. But um, it's it's one of those things. It's um, it's a it's a profession where there, believe it or not, there's actually a lot of I say overlaps, but there's a lot of um, oh, I think the the more we the more things go on, the more technological or scientific they get. 
it seems to be a typical evolution of a lot of in- industries. Um, and um, there's actually, yeah, there's, there's a lot of science stuff and, and knowledge required for a lot of the stuff that we we have to deal with these days. So it's um, it's certainly not for the, not for the, um, what's the word? I don't know, but it, it, my, I found my background really helps actually. Yeah, oh, my science background has really, really helped. Um, and maybe, but you know, some of the stuff with regards to um, the things we learn about um, fire growth and development and fire causes and all these sorts of things too. I just, I just found without sounding like a pyro, I found really fascinating um, from a science perspective, you know, and, um, and to, to have that sort of, I guess that bit of fascination about it too, sort of helps you want to learn more and be better at doing what you need to do. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is fascinating. Um, you know, down here we've got the uh, CFS, which is the country fire, mm-hmm. fire service. Um and you know they do a cadet program. So when you, I think it, yep. you know, it was twelve or thirteen when you can join. So I think I was a, um, you know, a CFS cadet from about eleven when my my mum and my mum joined. So I was the first uh, cadet at that station. So I did all the yeah, tra- nice. training with the um, with the normal CFS, and then you know, I once you're sixteen, seventeen, you can do your basic bushfire fighting and um, done all of that as yep. well. So yeah, learning about all of that stuff's awesome fun, and it's it's very very hard work, you know. Mm, mm. So Are we my most one of my most amazing things that I, I saw is we got talk taught about um, we're at the academy. So we. As full-time firefighters in Queensland, we, we go down to Brisbane for four and a half months. Yeah. We have an academy out at the Port of Brisbane and we spend a, a really intense four and a half months there. And um, <clears throat> at, at the appropriate time in your training, they take you to, to one part of the campus, which is called the Live Fire Campus, where they actually you know, shove you in shipping containers with real fire and stuff like that. But they they educate you about fire growth and fire development and those sort of things before you sort of get let loose on it. And you literally... You go into a shipping container that's all set up for it. They start a fire in the corners at the far end and you they shut the doors behind you and whatever else. You've got breathing apparatus on and you sit there with an instructor and your group and you watch the fire grow and he or she talks to you about the fire and what's happening and how it grows. And one of the coolest things I learned, which even though I had my background, I had no idea about, was the fact that, that smoke is unburnt fuel. So where you have a fire in the corner of the shipping container and the smoke levels are building up and it hits the ceiling and it starts coming back down. It's like laying underwater looking up at the, you know, the surface and it starts to come down and come down and come down. Well, all that smoke is unburnt fuel. And if it gets hot enough, it will actually ignite. ignite yeah. But, but, but what you can see is in front of you, at the far end of the shipping container is the fire where it started. But then when it gets hot enough, you can see up in the smoke above you and behind you flames that don't actually go back or connect with the original fire. And they, they, you call them the dancing angels because they just lick, they just appear and flash and disappear. And it's, it's just it's the most amazing thing to, to sit there and see and, and learn about because you don't realise what that is and what's happening until yeah. you're actually 
you know, they sort of oh, it does this, and you're like, really? And then you sit there and you look at it and you go, that's just incredible, you know. And then learn how to control that to, you know, either protect life and property. It's it's the next next step and it's even more awesome. So it's pretty cool. I love my job. Best job in the world. Oh, I bet. I bet. You know, I've I've looked down that path a couple of times, you know. At the moment, I'm, I'd be a bit too unfit. <laughs> but it's not either uh, family friendly either. So that's that's another another reason why, why I stopped looking down that path. But, yeah, it definitely is appealing to, you know, an outdoorsy type person you know most most mm. firefighters i've met all have you know very outdoorsy hobbies you know we're lucky here and i mean it's it varies state to state but our roster is is really lifestyle friendly we do two days two night shifts um we do 10 hour days and 14 hour nights and so you know we're in effect that gives us six days um that we have available and, you know, a four-day weekend every weekend, so to speak, because we cover for off on 48 hours every four yeah. days. So um, the, the the downside to it is obviously, you know, working weekends or, or you know, um, nights where you might have a family event on or a birthday yeah. or something like that. Um, that can be a bit of a pain. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the roster that we have, it advances one day a week. So, for example... Um, one week you might start Monday and Tuesday or the next week you start Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's you can't sort of always lock in a routine. Um, but you know well ahead of time, 12 months, two years even, if you're on the same shift, what exact days you will be and won't be working. So you can forward plan and you can do shift swap with other guys and yeah. things like that. So it affords the ability to go hunting and have side businesses and yeah make podcasts and <laughs> that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's it's really good in that regard, actually. That's good. Speaking of side businesses, Brackenware, that's, let's hear about that. How'd that come along? How'd you get involved with that, you know? So, um, <clears throat> so um, we've owned Brackenware for almost three years now. Um, Brackenware, as it exists now, is owned by three people, myself and two business partners. And... It um, was an interesting process, actually, and I sort of say it was a, um, a sort of we sort of came about it through two purchases, if you like. Um, I had been living overseas for uh, five years or so, and um, moved back to Australia, and um, lived here for a bit, and just because of time overseas and. Um, Access in Queensland being private property only, I, I didn't have any properties to hunt on. I'd lost contact or, um, um, you know, properties been sold or, or whatever. And so I hadn't hunted for a, a bit of a time. And then as things goes, my business partner, uh, Bernie, moved back and he'd been living in Houston for a couple of years. And Bernie's um, same, as, same sort of... Um, um, background as myself, outdoors, um, lifestyle, brought up camping, fishing, scouts, all that sort of stuff, and um, Bernie's ex-military. Um, and, but he's always been into rifles, so I've always been into bows. Um, and when he came back from Houston, he came from his house, which he may, as, may or may not have bought three houses up the road from my house, <laughs> comes down and he's like, oh, I bought this compound bow thing and you need to show me how to use it. So... <laughs> So I go, okay, well, I haven't hunted in a while. don't really have anywhere to go at the moment, but did a bit of um, uh, sort of looking around the place and uh, 
was able to get access to a property about 40 minutes um, from our, our place here and um, thought I need to sort of sort myself out with my gear and I couldn't find my head net, my face camo. Um, and I used to use a lot of ASAT camo back then and I had the 3D head mesh yep. um, thing that I used to wear and I couldn't find it. So I'm like, oh, what, what am I going to do here? Because, you know, I'm a very pasty, pale white dude and my face stands out a lot. So <laughs> a, 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 a departed friend of mine, may he rest in peace, used to call me Casper. So <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to just give him crap for being so big because he was a massive lad and he used to, he used to call me Casper because I'm so pale. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, my, my, my friend Howie Griffin, of, of no relation but the same name, um, I'd actually seen him wearing Brackenware on his socials and stuff, and um, I really, really liked the look of it. Um, I was really sort of intrigued by it, the pattern and everything. So I thought, oh, I'm going to look this stuff up. And so jumped on. I just needed a head net, a face mask, face veil, and that's just what I bought. Um, this thing arrived, and I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like even in person, it was cooler than I thought just looking at it online, you know. And um, I thought I might look a bit further into this stuff. So did a bit more, you know, you know, scaring, looking at the socials and stalked the Instagram page and whatever else. And I happened to come across a post up there that was the business was for sale. So, again, on the phone to Bernie, hey, Bernie, you know, that sort of side gig we might have been talking about, you know, thinking about doing something here or there. And I'm like, have a look at this. So I flicked in the leak and he's like, oh, okay, well, there's an email there. I said, well, shoot him an email and let's, let's see what comes of it. So Bernie has a background in that side of things. So I didn't really sort of get involved in that. Um, and um, I, yeah, I basically let him sort of do his thing and three or four months later what he called due diligence and i was just like i don't really know that term at the moment but because <laughs> i never bought anything you better bought a business or anything like that before um yeah we, we ended up having um acquired the business so the the gist of it more so was that i well we didn't we weren't looking at it from a let's buy this and make money perspective yeah we we bought the gear. Bernie bought more gear in in the interim, and um, we just love the gear. We were just like this is top quality stuff. Um, we you know we saw the opportunity. Then the company was not necessarily going to fold or, or be, be be bought, but be bought by someone else or whatever. But we thought this is an opportunity to you know really jump into this and take ownership of this gear that Troy and Ben, the, the guys who actually created the, the original products and, and drive it forwards and not just own the gear, but really just two feet jump in the whole works. That's awesome. And then, then we can bring good gear to, to hunters, you know, um, and we can sort of keep going on with what two top hunters have developed and hopefully, you know, drive forwards to the future as well and, and bring out good products for Australian hunters. That's awesome. That definitely um, takes a whole new new meaning into, you know, buying what you love and going out and not just buying the actual product but buy, <laughs> buying the business. <laughs> well, that's it, eh? Like I was honestly, and, and you know, when we – I bought that face veil and, you know, like I said, a few, few other bits and pieces and whatnot um, shortly thereafter and I was just like this is 
you know, this is this is a couple of couple of guys having a crack, and they've they've literally started from scratch. You know, in twenty twelve, awesome. developing the the camo pattern and 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 certain garments, and trialing it, and testing it, and getting other guys to use it, getting the feedback, and tweaking it, and changing it, and all that sort of stuff, and doing doing everything right. You know, from the the, the get go, and um, you know them they themselves uh like hunters that have shot all sorts of things and spent so much time in the in the scrub and and you know troy's got published articles and, and all this sort of stuff and, and whatnot so it's not just coming from you know a business you know what i mean like it's it's again it's it's and, and it sounds a bit um stereotyped or whatever but it's hunters making stuff for hunters yeah and i, I just it you know to me that that's the way it should be no that's awesome um and how many how many products do you guys actually have out oh dude um so we've got uh, we've got a, a range of apparel with we've got summer pants and winter pants we've got a summer shirt we've got a soft shell um winter jacket we have a uh, down jacket, which is my, well, my scorcher top, which is the summer shirt, is my favourite bit of gear because there's nothing like it out there. Um, but the down jacket, I'm actually taking to Canada next month and through the US and Europe through into winter. And my wife's like, you can't take that. That's you can't. I'm like, I'm taking it. I don't care. <laughs> it's just the best bit of kit. Um, and we have face veils, and we have. Uh, so that's a lightweight. It's made from actually the same material as the scorcher top. So yeah. really nice, lightweight, cool thing. Um, we have a what we call our face, um, like we call it our buff, which is more of a um, um, form-fitting sort of um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, elasticated type thing that, that hugs your face a bit more. But they're both lightweight for summer. Have camo caps in the normal pattern. We have the blaze orange caps. We have the logo where we have. Uh, Lightweight uh, summer gloves, fingerless gloves. Um, oh, what else do we have? Uh, belts. Belts are really cool. I'm wearing one at the moment. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, logo T-shirts, logo caps. I said that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's good range. I think that's, that's the most stickers. You know, like key rings. Yeah. yeah. And how much? Oh, how much have you guys brought out since you've owned the business? Have you brought many of the like, have you developed any any other garments and that since you've you've taken over the business? Or so we introduced uh, the summer gloves, um, the face buff as opposed to the face veil. Yep. Um, we developed the blaze orange cap, um, and let me think. Um. There's something else I can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, it's, all um, good. it's it's interesting because um, well, not interesting, but I the three of us have sort of three different roles in the business, um, and I'm sort of the I'm the social media, the outward facing contact. So I, I run our accounts and do that sort of stuff, um, and yeah, always trying to think about what have we got, what haven't we got. But yeah, that's that's what we've brought into it so far. That's but good. at the same time, as I think a lot of companies and businesses have experienced the last few years, you know, um, sales haven't been that great. I don't think with everybody or anybody for that matter, rather. Yeah. Um, and, but 
but we're 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 here for the long run sort of thing anyway so we've got we've got stuff that we've done in the background we've got other products that we have um, done some r&d on we've done some field testing on um that we've got that we are really excited to get rolling yeah, when the time's right for us to get them rolling you know what type um, of um... being Think, what, what type of stuff goes into research and development when it comes to that type of product? Um, firstly is, I suppose, what what <clears throat> what in our line is it that we want to fill in? What do we see that we can um, supply to fill out an entire range where, like, people will come and go, okay, well, I don't have to go here to buy that or there to buy that or there to buy that, Um you know, and, and we want to base that on not necessarily that we want everyone to buy every. Not, we want people to buy everything from us, but we want to put products out there that speak for themselves, yeah. and we feel they do. So if our products speak for themselves, like we feel people will want to do that anyway. So it it has to be quality, and the first I think part of quality is testing. And you can have your idea, like for us, for example, we we want to bring a base layer to the market in the future because we don't have so we don't have a base layer but it, we don't just want to go and pick out of a catalog from a manufacturer that they make this particular base layer and it's cut like this or whatever yeah we want to go okay well fair enough they make that let's get a sample let's get a sample of that one and 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 let's see how they work and then let's go forward with that if we want to make changes but at the same time see how they work not just for me running around in the scrub with it, but for you and for other people to get feedback. And that feedback, again, from hunters is the only way you're going to make something that then you can take to the market and say, we are happy that this is as good as we can possibly make it. Yeah. And so in that aspect, you don't just sort of pull something off the shelf, I suppose, or out of a catalogue from a manufacturer. And trust me, we get sent them all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's just it's just not how we want to roll, you know. We want to make sure that what we bring to the market is something we would use and we would happily say to our friends who live down the street or across town and can literally come and knock on the door and say, hey, dude, this is a piece of crap, that, that we've got quality gear, you know. So there's that aspect of it. Then there's, okay, well, what fabrics can we make it from? Because in this day and age, again, there's this, like, mate, we've got swatches of fabrics that would just blow your mind <laughs> and what they all can and can't do or what they're best suited for or what you can match them with and mix yeah. them with and or layer them with and things like that. Um, that side of it is super fascinating. Again, from a science background, super fascinating um, as to what's available in this day and age. Um and then moving forward into um, all the, you know, zips and pockets or, you know, vents and hitches or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and even then looking at the pattern and does the pattern print well on it or not print well on it and, you know, all these things. It's it's a, it's a big endeavour, but it's it's really cool. It's really cool. It's uh, something we quite enjoy, actually. It definitely sounds like it's a lot of different stuff that you can nerd out, you know. Going down, <laughs> going down different avenues, you know, you know, hearing people talk about um, different camo products and how they're they're developed, and you know, you got the media guys always talking about um, the stuff that they're working on, and then you know other guys yep. as well. So it's it's definitely very interesting, and how can you know 
camo does a job, but everyone's got their preferred style of camo as well as definitely. That's <laughs> it. Know, That's it. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of my good mates and a lot of past guests on this podcast run Brackenware, so um, mm. it, it definitely definitely stands out. And you know, I've heard nothing but great things about it. I actually haven't seen any of the kit in person, but yeah, definitely, yep. definitely looks great um, from what I've seen. It's it's again another aspect of it that intrigues me and has done for a long time since I first came across ASAT. Um, and I'm not sure you you are familiar with ASAT. Uh, bits and pieces. I've heard heard you speak about it on a past past podcast. Um, okay, yeah. Um, so that uh, and, and if you'd listened to that particular episode, you would have heard me talking about the the research that they had up on their website and yeah. and the the discussions that I've had with them in person. And the research they did into their patterns and stuff, and that that side of it is is absolutely super fascinating. It's it's really cool stuff when you really start to get into it and start to learn and understand why and what and how, um, rather than just oh just slap this together, slap that together, or or like Lewis, you know, oh you know, <laughs> someone will buy this, it looks good, you know. That's it. Um, it's it's it is you can nerd out on it pretty hard. <laughs> You can, and everyone's very loyal to the brands that they like. You know, you see someone mix match matching camo, and you're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> uh, and and as you've heard me say too before, if you did listen to that episode, it's it's just something that I just it's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. No, <laughs> it's no. got to be all the same. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. If it's all old school Oz cans, which I still have from my reserve days, you know, like it's just got to be the same. <laughs> so. <laughs> I've I've run Huntet camo for years, and you know um, yep. one of the old owners, I s- s- like he's like, oh, what w- what would you like? I'm like a neck gator because I've been running this neck sock mm. for like a, it's m- the only thing that's mismatched on my whole camo is, <laughs> yep, <laughs> and it just bugged me all the time. <laughs> yep, yep. But- well, I, I when I when I was fully kitted out back in the day in ASAT, I used to have this awesome um, plat attack backpack that I bought and it was, it was, and I've still got it. It's literally three feet from me right now. Um, but it bugged me that the thought that if I'm stalking in on something, I'm, I'm all covered in ASAP, but then there's these two stripes of the straps of, and across my guts of, of this, I was can't, I can't be excited. I got some, got some ASAP material and cut it out and sewed it around the straps and covered it all up. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never thought, at least to an animal, I look the same now, you know, <laughs> I never thought that, you know, the animal would be like, Oh, there's, there's two different bushes over there moving. <laughs> it's, it's more that when I look back at photos from the hunt, it's like, Oh, well that looks shit. I'm, I'm not matching. <laughs> Yeah, that little got you, didn't it? <laughs> oh, it, they they do all the time, mate. They were oh shiny. I worked at BCF for a few years too, so I'd, I'd, yes, I'd be yeah. taking the boxes apart or the all the new <laughs> new gear. I'd be like, oh, that one's not hitting the shelf. That's going home with me. <laughs> that's that's going straight no, well, through I, checkout. <laughs> I also know then that you've you've heard you've heard me be accused of maybe matching my bows and my knives with my brackenware as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's full nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. It's because I can. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so how did you actually get into hunting and fishing? Oh dude, I didn't have a choice. Um my my father was a bow hunter before I was even born. So uh I'm a I'm a seventy nine model 
And uh, in the mid-70s, my father actually started the Mount Isa Bowhunters Club uh, with his neighbour. And uh, even today it still runs, and I believe it's the oldest or second oldest club in Queensland, the ABA club. And so, yeah, I, I literally just didn't have a choice. Um, I Some of my earliest memories are of Dad making arrows, the smell of of the fletching glue, the smell of the Port Orford cedar, um, you know, going out to the club, to the range, those sort of things, um, being carried on people's shoulders around the range because too tired to walk. <laughs> but then also the, the four-wheel drive trips and camping and stuff. Um, and, you know, I just, just, I just didn't have a chance sort of thing. So I was exposed to that side of it from a very young age. That's what um, I like to hear. <clears throat> a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, fishing in my early days as well, um, but also I was in Cubs and Scouts Adventures and all that and Army Reserves and uh, I just grew up outside and outdoors. Um, you know, mates used to, we used to jump um, on our pushies and go down to the river and fish after school or on weekends and stuff like that. So um, it's just what I've always known, what I've always done, um, what I've always loved doing and where I love being. So... Yeah, beautiful. I, literally, it's in my blood, so don't, don't have a hope. I've, like, like I said, I've had some time away from the sport and, you know, those people who, who know me well, um, you know, I've said to, to a few times that um, it's just you, you always – I think it's like when you've travelled, if you've travelled a reasonable amount, you always want to travel again. Yeah. Either You either can or you can't or circumstances don't allow, to, allow you to or whatever, but you always have that – that wanderlust to go and i think hunt, he's hunting's the same <clears throat> you know it's um the time i had away from the sport i still always had that that something just pulling me back to it whether it was the fishing side of it whether it was the bow hunting side of it whether it was just being out in the nature side of it and, and camping side of it or whatever but that the lifestyle that and all those aspects of hunting as well if i could go at and go camping even if I'm not hunting, you know, it's still that that portion of, of the of the lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I definitely know what you mean there. What about when you first started getting into bow hunting and archery? Were you a stick and string guy or compound cowboy? What 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 just what were your roots? Um I I actually was too young to remember being given my first bow. That's great. Um but I still have it. Um, <clears throat> it was a hand-me-down from my, my older brother, uh, and I have the bow that he got as well when he handed that one down to me. So that's just a little fiberglass recurve, yeah, mate, you know, like all, all of about, you know, eight and a half pounds or something. Yeah. I don't know, but, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, um, later on I uh, had other sort of sick bows, but then when I was in high school and had a part-time job, I actually saved up my own pocket money and put a compound bow on Layboy. So that was a York boss. Um, York was a big brand back in the 80s. Um, not that I was a teenager in the 80s. This was the early 90s. But um, it was uh, – I've, I've still got that as well. It was all timber riser, all yeah, timber beautiful. limbs. And um, oh, it's it's an awesome boat. It's a really nice boat to shoot. Um, I, had, uh, I had a number of years where I was living in Brisbane as a uni student and I was at the um, Grange Bowman Club in Brisbane there, and there was a, a guy there who ran a shop called Keith. And Keith was an absolute magician. And um, I took it into Keith one day, and he was doing a bit of work on it. And he said, 
because it had the cables, you know, the teardrops, yeah. the steel cables, and the, and the single single string. And he's like, "Would you like me to, you know, so I can make this a bit better for you?" I'm like, "Mate, I trust you with my newborn, so <laughs> whatever you want to do, you know, go for your life." So he changed the cams, um, put a set of Browning cams on it, changed all all the fast flight string system and whatever else. And oh, mate, it was three hundred percent the bow it was. That's awesome. And um, I shot my first. Um, uh, billy goat with that because I had, had an opportunity to learn to shoot billy goats down at um, Tenerfield. Took two goats, um, not with the one arrow, but very short succession. Um, and just countless other game with it. It's just just a magic bit of kit. So, but I've shot them all. Like I've shot long bows and recurves. Yeah. But um, those yeah, old this York, day and age, those old York yeah, bows yeah. are gorgeous. Um, my pop had one hanging up in his um, gun gun room for years. You know, nice. he yeah. he got it. You know, uh, years and years ago, I think he'd shot it a few times and just hung it up in his, in his reloading room, and it's just you know sitting as a kid watching him reload. It's just something that's always sat up on the wall, and he recently gave it to my dad. And you know, I've been trying oh, to find. Wow. I'll ha- I'll have to send you a photo of it. I got a yeah it's, for it's sure. Very similar to what you what you're talking about, uh, but I haven't been able to actually find much on the actual model of it itself. So I'll have yep. to send that through to you. I reckon you'll get a good kick out of it. Um, but yeah, they're they're a cool cool bow, and it's just crazy to see how far bow technology oh, has come in that mate. you know relatively short absolutely i i've actually was very fortunate i was living in central queensland and used to come into gladstone to the different comps and stuff that they'd have at the club there and one day this guy's walking around with the exact same bow i was like <laughs> mate and then i just happened to say if you ever sell it or want to sell it, here's my number because I knew that I'd, I'd never find another one like it, yeah. but I also knew that of getting of age or whatever, that the bow might start to have some issues, limb delaminate or whatever. And yeah. I was just like, if I've got a second one as a spare, then that's fantastic. So I actually own two of them now. That's sweet. <laughs> and the other one is in original, like the, the cams and the teardrop, yeah. the cables, everything is, is actually original. Um and the other, the other really cool bow I've got is a 1985 model Martin Warthog, um, which is with the, the exception of it's a, it's all timber limbs, timber riser as well, but it's, uh, and, and laminates, timber laminate, of course. So it's more of a, it's sort of like an orangey, brownie timber laminate riser. But my father's got one, which is the pine colour, sort of light, like timber and same thing, identical bows, just with the exception of that colour. So I came across that thing one day. I'm like, that's that's exactly the same as Dad's. I've got to get that one. So I don't even know what I paid for, 150 bucks or something, yeah. but same thing. And I've, I've shot game with that too. You know, it was pretty cool. Actually, no, tell a lie. I've shot game with Dad's bow. That's right. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just I just love those old timber compounds. They're just awesome. Bows are an obsession. I- not sure if you can, yeah, see, can see behind me. I've got, a, <laughs> got a couple up there behind me. I've got you know, my first bows, my well, my first compounds up there, and um, yep, yep. you know, hand me down Bowtech Tomcat, and then the rest of them are all, yep. all PSCs. <laughs> I, yep. I kind of yep. hit it's the PSC shape. bug, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got well, that's my, it. Eh? You, you sort of find something you like, and you go, you know what, this this worked well for me, and try the new technology, but it's it's still. You know, you sort of see the same sort of – I've done that with Hoyts. You know, I've had Bowtex and I had a diamond that, looking back, I probably shouldn't have got rid of that bow. It's an absolutely fantastic bow. But um, I think I traded it or sold it because I 
funnily enough, my weird science background, I wanted to, and I'm left-eyed dominant but right-handed. So with my my uh, human movement science background, on the learning side of things, I thought I should be shooting left-handed. And I have a weird theory. I won't go into it too much, but I, I actually think – we we should almost all right-handers should be shooting compounds left-handed, but <laughs> I shot I shot left-handed for ten years. Yeah, wow. Um, taught myself how to do it, but I never got to the point where it was. It never got to the point where it was as therapeutic as the way I'd been shooting my whole life. Yeah, I was more accurate. Don't get me wrong, um, but I'm still you know all, all the years I didn't shoot, I'm still accurate, but just not as accurate but it was just never as therapeutic. So I ended up changing back just for that aspect of it, you know? Yeah, I've tried um, a couple of times. I've got a few left-handed mates and tried shooting left-hand compounds and you just feel completely backwards. Like you just, everything feels off and wrong. <laughs> oh, mate, it is. And everything's 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 um, an effort, you know, like even knocking knocking an arrow with the left hand, the dexterity isn't there. The drawing and the aiming and stuff, that's more of a mental game I, well, I found. But the dexterity and the effort to knock an arrow left-handed, especially to do it in the field when you, you, know, you don't necessarily really want to take your eyes off the game or whatever it is you want to do, but you want to do it smooth, efficient, quiet, in the half dark or whatever, it was just so challenging. Oh, I could I could imagine, you know, I'd... I think my mate's compound was a yeah fifty pound bow, and I couldn't even draw that back down, draw that left handed. You know, just everything's yep. backwards. Yep. All your muscles are strong. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's crazy. But you hear you know people like Joe Rogan talk about how you um you know your back actually shapes towards for shooting the bow because you constantly like it. So you're you're using yep. one side and the other side's getting weaker and <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, back in the day, I believe, if my memory's right, that's how they used to identify the remains of of old English archers. You know, not grossly, but you know, distinctly oversized on on one particular side than the other. Um, and thinking of them is actually part of the reason I wanted to try left-handed for various reasons. But yeah, uh, it's longer than a couple of hours podcast, mate. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is, especially when you get into all that old school, old, old school arching stuff, and especially when it comes to like old English archers and Mongolians and all of that type of stuff. Oh, but yes, yeah, speaking about gear, what's your, what's your current setup these days? Uh, so the, my, my main compound these days is a Hoyt factor 30, which is a 2014 model. Beautiful. Um, and, um, it's, uh, it's, I'm pulling a whole massive, huge 26 and a half inch draw because I'm just, you know, a, a really tall five foot eight. Um, <laughs> But I'm five foot eight and nearly ninety kilos, so pulling back eighty pounds, which isn't a drama. Um, and I've actually, segueing back to what we talked about before, I, I bought it specifically to strip down, recondition, and um, and restore, for want of a better word. But um, I've had it hydro dipped in the Brackenware pattern. I had all the other bits and pieces um, uh, ceracoded and and whatnot, and then kitted it out with a whole bunch of new, um, you know. Um, accessories That's sweet. so it's um it's a really nice if, a, if something is you know old nine years old it's it's a really nice bow to shoot to be honest um and being again with the the shorter the shorter end of the draw now that i'm i'm pulling uh 80 pounds instead of the 70 you know i've i've found that at extra 
10 pounds is really making up for that, you know, difference in say, well, you know, most people shoot around a 28 to 30 inches. Yeah. Um, it just, it just punches them out, mate. It's, it's a really nice bit of kit. So that's sweet. Um, what, yeah. um, what arrow broadhead combination are you running? So I'm shooting a hundred grain G5 Montec on the front with a uh, insert outset system. And that's on the uh, evolution Tomahawk arrow. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so I've got a mate who actually makes them up for me, Arrow Punk on uh, Instagram. Look him up. He's yep. a top bloke, yep. Addy. Follow him. Um, so he, uh, yeah, he makes them up for me. And, um, yeah, my, I just really just I, – I found, again, having a period where I was away from the sport and then came back into it, the, the evolution of – and no pun intended there – of Arrows was phenomenal. Yeah, it's um, insane. My, I, I, my favourite Arrow – was um, back in the day was the ST axis, which again, from a science physics point of view, my brain was telling me that, you know, something with a small diameter but a thick wall was going to be uh, the strongest that you could, you could sort of go with, you know? Um, so the ST axis I found was just phenomenal in that regard. Um, and then, came back and saw what, what is on offer now with micro shafts and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, oh, this is it's just amazing, you know. It's just amazing. So, yeah, I was looking for something. Um, uh, I can't remember what else I came across. came across Addy and um, and he had the evolutions there and whatever else and I just we started talking. I was like, well, actually, I'm chasing a couple of dozen. Let's give these a crack, you know. So, um that's the other thing. We we carry arrow wraps through Brackenware. That's cool. <laughs> so, so I sent him some wraps and then said, yeah, whack these on, make them up for me. This is what I'm looking for. So, um, yeah, he did, mate, and they're just top top product. Really love That's them. That's awesome. Yeah, those the G5s go well. I've, I've shot them before and mm. um, they, hit, they hit hard. I, I was a big lover of three blades there for a minute. But I've you know gone back down to the the single bevel, mm. so <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, no, I absolutely love them, and and you do a little bit of rifle shooting too as well. Yeah, mate. Um, so got into that because I, I fell off the roof and broke my leg. It's you know really good firemanship oh. that was, but <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sort of wasn't sure how far or long I'd be able to to walk for given the the damage to my, my left leg and um lying on the couch i thought well i might do something about getting my rifle license so um the quick backstory to that is uh also with my first purchase which was a 44 magnum marlin lever action beautiful um based off the fact that uh, yeah my, my my father despite uh being a bow hunter had a, a 30-30 Marlin lever action. But because he got into bow hunting before I was born, I actually never saw that rifle used up until the day he sold it. <laughs> and he sold it because I was overseas and couldn't get a license to buy it off him and he oh, couldn't be bothered jumping through all the hoops after, you know, certain changes yep. through the government. So when I decided I was um, going to start um, looking at firearms and, and getting my license, then I thought, oh, there's no question I'm buying a Marlin lever action. That's just... You know, and then obviously it sort of lent itself a little bit more towards the trad side. shorter range hunting, you know. So, yeah, it's um, I picked one up. Uh, I think I bought it from a guy in Victoria, 
second hand, hardly a mark on it, like very low round count through it. The barrel was just impeccably, just just oh, pristine. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful rifle. I've since had it um, seracoded and whatnot and, and sort of, you know, um, taken care of. So, yeah, I've uh, also gone on board a little um, CZ455 22 mag. I've got something else that I bought, which is just a standard 22, but it cost me 50 bucks and it has a Russian name that I can't remember off the top of my head. That's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Uh, and then more recently, a, um, a Howe 1500 2D3 short action. Yeah, beautiful. Um, which, which I've also, and the, the 22 mag and the 2D3 I've also had all um, seracoded. I bought a uh, Hera H7 stock for the 2D3, had that all seracoded as well. And they, they all, they're matching tones and colours. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> couldn't help myself. <laughs> Someone sounds a little OCD when it comes to that side yeah. of stuff. <laughs> well, it was funny because the, the CZ455 was in terrible condition when I got it. Um, like this big crack in the stock and, yeah. like, working parts and everything was really, really good, Nick, but the stock and everything was terrible. And when that was away getting Cerakoted, I was actually hunting with the four, uh, the, the forty four. I just noticed that where my where I'd sling it and walk, my elbow would rub on it and sweat and stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good, you know, like across the face plate, for example, where you yeah. put the, the rounds in and that. And I thought, that's just going to rust as shit. So I thought, well, when I get this one back, I'll send this one away and I'll, and I'll get that done. Then I don't have to worry about it, you know. So, And then, of course, when I got the 2D3, it was just no question. Well, I've got the other two done. I might as well get this one done as well. So That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um- I hadn't really thought too much about Cerakoting until um, I listened to Matt's one of Matt's episodes recently, where he mm. he went into it on um, Oz Hunting and Beyond yep. podcast, and he yep. he had a guy on there talk, talking about it all, and that was good, insightful episode because it's not something I'd really really thought about. So, mm. so good to good to learn a bit a bit about that from then. Well, that's the thing. So, oh, same sort of thing. I, I I knew of it, but I didn't know of it in a from a, a, a firearms perspective. I knew about it with regards to um to engines and and whatnot. Um, but uh, again, Bernie being more of a, a rifle guy, um, he he was all over it. And you know, we're talking about species. He's got a really nice um, Bagara rifle, and that he got seracoded. And I was like, oh, okay, so. That's I went to the same guy IPS Cerakote on on Instagram. If anyone wants to look him up, Danny Danny is a magician. I, I swear he's a magician. Um, and yeah, I was like, well, this this shit sounds like it's a it's gonna it's just it's just an investment in yeah. in time and and preservation of your it of your firearm. Good. You know, like it just makes sense, mate. You know, like so that's that's the way I looked at it too. It's just it it means it's less work for me to keep the firearm in good nick. But it also means the firearms in good nick, even if uh, you know, like if my attention to it isn't as good as it should be, there's a little bit of forgiveness there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not that I'm saying I, uh, that means an excuse to be lazy with my care for my firearm, but it just means that it's like, if it is, for example, you know, sitting in the safe and and people get worried about the surface rust or whatever, like I I don't really have to, you yeah. know. So it's good, especially living at the coast, you know. Yeah. Yeah, my main takeaway from Matt's episode about it was, um, you know, don't spend the couple hundred dollars more on stainless and just just get the the regular blue or whatever, yep. and um, then get it cerakoted. For what you're going to spend on the stainless, you can get it cerakoted, 
and it costs about the same. So, yeah, and then in like conversation I've had with Danny about the the various hardnesses and stuff, and I think Matt covered it a bit on that episode as well. You know, you talk about the different different options of of uh, level, I suppose, and the different hardnesses, and therefore the resilience to to wear and tear. Um, and that's yeah. You just think you take like guys like us, we take these rifles hunting. That sort of that bit of extra protection that we can put on them is is you know a little bit more peace of mind when we're in tight scrub or crawling on your guts or something like that. You know. Yeah, I'm just trying to find that episode now. I can't I can't remember what it is. What episode it was? Seracoding. Um. So yeah, Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast. Um. Episode five. Seracoding and reloading with Simon from Haztec. So, um, yep, that does a insightful episode. I, I learned a bit about about that on it. So, it's a good episode for it's people a, to go check listen, out yeah. if you haven't haven't gone over there and checked it out. Um, yeah. So, moving on a bit, uh, top beginner tip. What would you suggest for someone getting into just hunting in general? You know, it's it's funny how many of your podcasts I've listened to. I knew this question would come up, but I think I'm the same as every other person who's come who you've asked it to, and they go, "Well, there's so many things that you could think of." Um, and, and in all honesty, you know, I could say, you know, um, practice, or you know, buy once, cry once, or know your gear, or whatever. But just just enjoy it. You know, and, and and I did say it on the first episode of my podcast. I said, you know, like, take that moment when, when you do get out there, be it you're going with someone else, uh, you, you're not actually hunting, you're just tagging along because that's the invite you've got or you have got your own gear, you have put the yards in, you have got, you know, your rifle or your bow and you've put some practice in or whatever and, and you're at the stage where you can go and ethically hunt something, you mainly take an animal, but enjoy it. You know, I find, because I'm a guy whose brain is just going nonstop all the time, um, to stop, either sit on a log, just pause, shut your eyes, just take a breath in, feel the feel the breeze, listen, you know, take that moment of enjoyment of what it is you're actually doing and the opportunity you've got to do it because, you know, you, would, you know through the conversations you've had, the time you've been in a sport, uh, that you know, the, the, the fight to keep that access or the fight to keep the right to do it could go tomorrow. Yeah, But irrespective of that, just, just within life, I think the opportunity to be able to get out <clears throat> and enjoy what we do have and I suppose a, a little bit uh, special for us in Queensland, and I think it's, it's the same for you guys in South Australia, it's private land hunting only. Yeah, that's it. That in itself is 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 you know for want of a better term it's precious you know it yeah, really is it really is precious so just just enjoy it enjoy the process the learning curve don't get so hung up on too many aspects of it do what you need to do to be humane about what you have to do but enjoy the process and enjoy the actual moment that you're in you know. I found being not in mountain fit condition helps with that because when you're stopping for a, for a deep breath on the side of a hill, you, you're taking it all in as you're catching your breath. <laughs> so it doesn't always it doesn't always oh, pay to it. doesn't always pay to be super fit for hunting because if if you're just powering along, you're missing everything. If you're unfit like me oh, yeah. and you're catching your breath on the side of the hill, you know you're taking a lot more. 
<laughs> I'm not a fat bastard. I'm just enjoying the moment. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah I, I hear you. Uh-huh. I used to I used to hunt with some boys that were just just they were just mountain hunters, and I was a flatland Queenslander, <laughs> and they would just give it to me. And <laughs> it's be like, okay, I'm slow. I could go all day though. I won't stop. I'm just a lot slower than you are. Yeah, that's, you know? that's it. Oh, no, I, I definitely oh. stop, you know, coming coming out of Snake Island, walking back with the deer, the amount of stops we had and, you know, it was a warm night and I'm just laying, oh. on, the, laying on the ground on my backpack, you know, just staring up at the skadars, taking it all in, struggling, yep. dying out of breath, struggling. but, uh, but take, <laughs> taking it all in nonetheless. Oh, that's gold. That's gold. So the worst, the worst experience I ever had in that regard was when the the, the weekend the Canberra bushfires happened. Yeah. And I was at uh, again on episode of my podcast mentioned that uh, hunted down near uh, at Wellington or near Wellington near Dubbo there. And dude, it was thirty seven degrees in the middle of the night, and we got up and we hunted from about four thirty in the morning, and we didn't get home until after dark. And I was I was real bad. I was in such a state that like we we took breaks in the middle of the day. We wallowed around in water holes, all sorts of stuff. Slept in the in the you know shade in a creek bed, all this sort of business, just to manage the heat and and whatever else. But I was walking up this hill back to the Ute at the end of the day, and again with with my background and stuff and what should I know about the body and that I'm walking up. I was so bad, so so stuffed with the heat and dehydration i was taking 10 steps i was counting everyone and i'd stop for a break and i kept saying to myself you're still sweating you're okay because i knew if i stopped sweating i was cactus and it i was i was it was it was you know but i was trying to keep up with the mountain boys (laughs) it wasn't wasn't good news you know so yeah it's it's one of those things yeah that was a funny segue out of enjoy the moment that was (laughs) (laughs) It's it's true though, like you know, some of the some of the most memorable stuff, you know, especially this year from Snake Island and um, New Zealand is the times where I'm, you know, catching my breath. I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely mm. bugging and I'm sitting there, you know, like I said, Snake Island, laying there on top of my bag. It, you know, it was. I I think we I shot the deer at you know six thirty ish, and we didn't get back to camp till one thirty a.m. And you know, just sitting on the side of the sitting on the side of the track, just sitting there staring up at the stars, or you mm, know, New mm. Zealand, out of breath, you know, on the side of the hill, eating bits of snow off the ground because we've had the fresh the fresh snow melt, and just taking it all beautiful. In. But <laughs> it it, it yeah. it's definitely a good way to take it all in. But yeah, that's it. Moving on from beginner tip, what about items? What top five items would you suggest for a beginner getting into hunting? Five. All right. So, I think I, I don't think you can go past your your staples that I think most guys come back to. Boots, backpack, obviously whatever bow or rifle that you're taking. You know, um, yeah. I think there's unfortunately there's a lot of access to cheap crap these days, and unfortunately. Um, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, but that that is often a lot of people's first point of contact with archery as, as a as a pastime. Yep. And again, I don't have that depth of background in firearms to be able to comment too much about on that side of things. But you know, definitely your your cheap 
uh, red zones or red lines or whatever they're called, that sort of stuff, you know, you know, I think I, I think I shed a tear that the day I heard that some BCFs were stocking archery gear. Um, but yeah, whatever that choice of a firearm or, or bow is, you know, a fit for purpose and b that it's some sort of quality. Yeah. And in this day and age, and you know full well, like that, um, for example, that that bow that I was talking about before, my my Factor Thirty, yeah, it was a nine year old bow, but I picked it up for five hundred bucks. You know, and you can get lesser you know it's a little bit more because it was an 80 pound bow they're a bit harder to come by but you can get lesser sort of bows for similar or less money that are you know former flagship bows in their day and they still shoot beautifully um do i have i kind of probably have to say camo gear don't i (laughs) (laughs) no look it is what it is you know um i i I won't say that but i'll say a, a backpack of of reasonable size be that you know um i think you know at, at least 40 liters plus but not you know stupid big not 75 or 80 or whatever but you know Paul's, something that Paul's you can <laughs> <laughs> oh look mate you know they all strap nice most of them these days so you can strap them down and make them that bit smaller as day packs but i think it's a good starting out point for yeah. a beginner um you know I, I don't think many beginners look at it and go, okay, I'm going to go and stay overnight for three nights just with what's on my back. Yeah. That comes down the track. And I think, too, also, if you're looking at a pack around the large-ish day pack size, the price point is a bit more friendly for beginners. Yeah. Um, you know, and but having said that, that price point being a little higher than something you buy from Kmart, you're going to get a pack where, you know, if you, if you come with me and hunt out at Marin, we walk 20Ks, yeah, it's flat, but a shit backpack's going to rub you and you're going to know about it. Yep. Um, but I'm also going to say, you know, I'd, I make I want to make sure you've got enough water. Yeah, I learned that lesson. Um, first aid, gear, all that sort of stuff. Yep. So even before you go, you know, you've got a bit of weight in that backpack. So that's important. I said boots, didn't I? I, I think what you covered just then, um, um, those two things that you said are in the backpack, I think they're, they're, <laughs> they're a great one. Um, first aid and water. Um, oh, both very under yep. the amount of hunters I know that don't carry any first aid stuff with them is just insane. So I have a I have a uh, minimi pack, which is your belt fed machine gun um, webbing pack yep. from the from the army. Um, so oh, it's hard to describe how big it is, but you'd probably say it's about six inches square by about two and a half three inches deep, and there's. Two, two cans of tin food, be it baked beans or spaghetti or something like that. I've got fishing line pliers. I've got hooks. I've got um, uh, hexamine tablets. I've got matches, a lighter. I've got mozzie repellent. Um, I've got a sewing kit. I've got a compass. I've got, you know, just uh, asylum sticks, glow sticks. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, little um, space blanket, that lives in my backpack all the time irrespective of I'm going for a five-minute walk, I'm looking over that hill, whatever, all the time. A snake bandages, slings, you know, um, it's got um, wound dressings, basic band-aids, it's got some Panadol, you know, super glue for wounds. And it's not hard to put that stuff together and fit it in this tiny, it's not tiny, but fit it in this thing that just sits in the bottom of my pack. And, okay, if I'm going for a day walk, I've fill up my water bladder, I throw in a, you know, maybe a can of V or, uh, you know, an extra cold, spray some water bottle or something, 
and a bunch of snacks, apples, whatever, and off I go. You know, but I've got that first aid there if I need it. I've got that if I've, you know, God forbid, to break my other ankle and I'm standing overnight. I've got some stuff to light a fire to keep the mozzies away, take, you know, the edge off some pain with some Panadol, keep me warm with a space blanket. And it's it's not that big and it's not that hard. Yeah, that's it. I, you know, I've got the, you know, normal stuff in the first aid kit, bandages, bit of gauze, you know. You know, if you know someone going for an operation and they're coming out, you get the nurses that come to their house, like come to the house and like, oh, here's an extra pack. Here's an extra pack. You grab all of that yep. stuff. You've got stuff 100%. that will, you know, if you know someone that's, you know, an, an ambo, you know, they they only have a life on some of those dressings and stuff. They have to get rid of them. That's also, true. it's it's good yep. to get rid of, you know, any of that old training gear that's all expired. You know, it doesn't matter that it's expired for us, you know, because it's mm. it's a, it, it all uh, works out. You know, you've got bandage tape and all of that. All of that comes in, in great handy. Yep. So you can put a little. So we um <clears throat> we have uh, the the people coming to work on an, uh, on an annual basis to go through all the um, first aid kits on the fire trucks, and we've got six seven fire trucks at my station. Uh, and then we have a couple of first aid kits around the station as well. So same thing. There's stuff in there that has an annual expiration date or a biannual expiration date or whatever. And they literally end up with just bags and bags of stuff. And they just sit there on the table. And so it's either going to go in the in the in the trash in the bin, or I could grab that sling or that dressing or whatever and, and make use of it in my kit, you know. So um it's it's fortuitous in that regard, you know. And I may or may not know a few ambos as well through work. <laughs> and it's it's <laughs> but, better uh, to have yeah. and not need than need and not have at the oh, end of the day. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's really important, you know. Um, and I think number one is something to something to bandage a broken leg with, and something to obviously bandage a snake bite. Yeah. You know, so I think they're the, they're the two things that'll really take you out of the out of the equation if if you're not careful in an isolated area. In your years of hunting, have you come across many snakes? Like I I come across a lot of snakes when I'm out fishing or just you know mm -hmm. hiking, but I haven't come across a heap when I'm out hunting. You know, maybe a dozen, two dozen at the max in the last you know mm. fifteen twenty years of hunting. <laughs> Mm. Oh, my, my, my count wouldn't even be that high. Um, I think I could probably count on one or maybe two hands at most, the number I've come across. Um, I haven't had any really hairy run-ins, you know. I've had pucker moments, but um, usually from, holy shit, I didn't know that was a snake, or <laughs> um, I like there's a, a property at, at Mara here in central Queensland that I hunt on. A couple of months there you go where I had um, – I had uh, Barry and Dave out there, and I said, "Hey, boys, see that? See this here? This, you know, uh, watercourse of brigalow trees? That's brown snake gully. Do you want to know why it's called brown snake gully?" <laughs> I said, "Because there was a snake there, and the colour brown ran down my leg because <laughs> I shit myself." <laughs> so I'd, I'd probably walked about sixteen clicks by the time I'd come across a brown snake gully, and grass was a little bit over waist height, and I thought I'll push through the grass here. I get to the watercourse where the brigalows are. Walk through the water holes. And then up out, and I knew where the ute was from there, a couple of k's across the paddock. So I've taken about 30 metres walk into this grass, and I look down. So I'm sort of trying to follow this pink pad, and it sort of disappeared a bit. So I look down, sort of trying to work out if it goes left or right or whatever. And all I could see is, as thick as my arm, this section of a brown snake. 
and I couldn't see its head. I couldn't see its tail. I just could see a section of it. And I just, that was it. I'm like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm out. <laughs> I may have said a few unsavory words, but <laughs> it was just massive. It was so thick. I just thought there's no way in hell I'm hanging around to even find out where the head or the tail are. No, I'm done. So, so it was, it was just straight line out of the grass, up the up the road, dirt road there to the paddock and straight back to the ute. I was I, like, no. Nah, I, I take it you're not a snake <laughs> fan then. <laughs> not in the – oh, look, I, I, I don't mind at all. I'm not a big fan. Like I, I, I'm not one of someone to have one as a pet, but it's if I don't know where they are. And in that instance, you know what I mean? Like I'm in the long grass and it's home and I don't know where its head is, you know, and I'm on my own. Uh, and I've got like pretty much no reception, and I just thought, nah, this is this is not the equation that I want to have adding up right now. But yeah, but other than that, you know, um, I remember different property out to the at the same area, you know, coming down a, a creek gully in a bit of a hurry, and there's oh, this thing would have been six or seven feet long. I don't even know what color it was now. It was that long ago, but I just remember I air Jordan over the top of it, <laughs> and I was up out the side. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, my yeah. last my last run in with a snake was a a red belly um, on Snake Island mm. of all places. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, the, Did you get a big mac at Macca's while you were there, yeah. or what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the last run in I've had with a snake, which is. But it was you know, red belly blacks. They're pretty. They're pretty docile. You know, you give pretty them space, good, yeah. they just just move on. But um, yeah. What have you forgotten on a hunting trip? Oh, I forgot my bow once. <laughs> <laughs> Not on a whole trip, though. It was just the last hunt of the day. Yeah. So um, I used to hunt a lot with a a, a, uh, a friend of mine. He's passed on since. But um, we, <laughs> we we went on this trip and we I think it was a long weekend or something, but we'd hunted, you know, the must have been the Friday of the Saturday then Sunday morning, whatever else, and we're just going for one hunt, you know, before we went home on the Sunday or whatever it was. And done a bit of driving around the property and I was like, oh, it's a bit of a hike out to where the, the – a um, bit of a drive out to where the where the game is. And I sort of looked at the fuel gauge and went, yeah, oh, yeah, no, we'll be right. We'll get out there, we'll get back, pack up, and then we'll, you know, we'll get back on the highway and find some fuel. So anyway, jump in the car and off we go and – pull up at the, the top of the gully system and start walking for where the where we knew the goats would be. And I've gone around to the back of the ute and I'm like, where's me bow? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Went to the back seat. No, it's not there either. Oh, crap. Because I, I knew I didn't have enough fuel to drive back and get it <laughs> and then come back and hunt. It's like, oh, well, there you go. Uh, I'm just, just manning the camera today, Paul. <laughs> but it's uh, <coughs> Uh, I think that's the worst. <laughs> I don't think I've had left anything catastrophically behind um, as far as left it at home and, you know, being without boots or anything like that. But, yeah. Yeah, boots is uh, my, my biggest. Uh, quiver one one afternoon just on a local hunt, got to got to the property and grabbed the bow out and walking in. And I'm like, my bow's feeling real light today. And look down, <laughs> yeah, no, no quiver. <laughs> no quiver. No, no arrows at all then? No, no arrows at all. Just oh, look, look down at the bow and 
It's feeling really light today. <laughs> uh, so I, I, same thing. I carry two release aids. There's, yeah. there's always a second release aid because I know for sure I'm going to go somewhere and forget my release aid. Yeah, I've you know, I, I've got a yeah, just, I've got my first aid kit, and then I've got like another little, you know, um, almost like a shower bag that's got a double pocket on it, and it's just got a few larger yeah. bandages and um, a life straw a little reflective yep. mirror and then yeah my spare release aid in there <laughs> nice work even like the cheap little old school thumb excuse me thumb release you know i just something that you can use you know um that that is is there in case you, you know, the worst happens but yeah yeah, it's, it, it's funny just how these little things, you know, you're just like going over everything and you just leave one little little thing out and it's just like, God damn it. And so you normally yep. you normally have two just so you, <laughs> if you do leave something, it's not so catastrophic when you get to where you're going. Oh, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. That, and it's funny how certain items obviously are just far more critical, you know. And, yeah, okay, I'll, you might... I'm one for. I don't necessarily wear my boots when I leave home. And you know, a lot of people jump and wear their thongs or a pair of sand shoes or whatever. And you go, okay, well I can get by in a pair of sand shoes, but you can't get by with their release aid. You can't get by without your rifle bolt. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> maybe that's the beauty of the lever action. You can't forget your bolt, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, living in a state here where we don't have to take the bolt out the firearm, which is which yeah. is great. I don't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, nice. I've, le- I've left boots at home. We did a trip to the Flinders Ranges, which is, you know, seven and a half, eight hours from where yep. I was living at the time. And I got a phone call when we were a couple of hours in from mum and she's like, um, hey, these boots <laughs> in the middle of the driveway, were you supposed to pack them? And yep. had a shit myself moment. I'm like, yep, th- yep. So we stopped into a hardware store. I grabbed some steel cap boots, just a you know hundred dollar <laughs> pair of steel caps, and spent the whole time hunting in steel caps. Did you blister up? No, no, very fortunate. Oh no, nice. yeah, a well, week, a week. Country. It's yeah, crazy country. The Flinders for for that. Yeah. not to get to get <laughs> blisters up there was was I've pretty done, fortunate. I've done rescue. I've done rescues on mountains before where I've had to um, like escort a. Um, patient with a broken leg and um you know like uh, six or seven of us holding the stretcher walking down a trail trails only as wide as one person walking up so you're walking either side because the stretch is over the actual trail um but coming down and i just yeah when we when we got sent to the to the rescue i, I didn't have the right boots and coming down my feet were just bunched toes bunched up in the end and by the time i got to the bottom man it was blisters and toenails and it was just <laughs> <laughs> it was a really reason, reasonably unpleasant experience, but yeah, they, they make a world of difference. They do, they do. I know that toenail one. Like you know, if you're you you haven't trimmed your toenails before you've gone out on a hunt, you sure know about it by the end of it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Speaking yeah, of sketchy, sketchy trails and stuff, what's the sketchy. most what's the most sketchy trap like hunt that you've done or sketchy thing? That's oh happened? boy. Um, so I was hunting on a property in northern New South Wales and trying to remember where it was. I'm sure it'll come to me off the time. I was thinking of it, Barrington Tops. And we, there was myself and my mate were there. 
we went for a drive uh, and a hunt late in the afternoon and we were sort of following this track, trying to find our way into this particular paddock that we'd seen from up the top of the mountain. And we've come across uh, around this track and around the top of this gully head and we've gone uh, into this next paddock and this track sort of petered out and disappeared. So we thought, oh, it's getting a bit late, getting cold. We might turn around and just go back and, you know, find somewhere else to hunt tomorrow morning, whatever. So we come across this same track across the top of this gully head. The back right-hand wheel has slipped into it. Oh, no. And this this is like the, the hillside was just covered in uh, in this weed. I don't know if you've got no Patterson's Curse. No, not sure that one. So imagine like a really low-growing but quite um, wide, like as in diameter, um, cabbagey, uh, lettucey type, succulenty type thing okay, that just yep. just covers everything, and it's slippery as buggery. And the, yep. the hillsides themselves are just like black soil. And this is in. Oh, it was cold, so it must have been winter. It was, it was freezing cold. So it was just everything was moist and this Patterson's Curse crap and it was just slippery as buggery and they weren't, I think they might have been road tyres. They certainly went in mud tyres that might get some sort of some sort of traction. But the more my mate tried, the more the thing just slipped down into this gully with this and, and, the, and the arse of it and it got to the point where it was just like, dude, just let's just hold up. You've got to get and have a look. Got out and had a look, and we we're probably about six inches from dropping off this ledge and probably rolling. Oh shit! I was just like, uh, okay, right. So you know that was a bit closer than we'd hoped. So we we geared up and we just walked back to the cabin, dumped our stuff, went and found the farmer, and said, "Oh look, I may or may not need a bit of help over here." <laughs> so his son was there. He's like, "Oh, I'll jump in the cruiser," and. Uh, we all jumped in the cruiser. We drove around. He had a um, he had a turfer winch. So then he positioned it up on the top of the sort of like, if you can imagine that the Utes pointing across the head of the gully and the uh, the cruiser he's put directly as the gully ran up the hill from it, because we couldn't position it directly in front of the Ute to pull it out. There's just not enough room. So we had to winch it and turn it at the same time. And then skull drag it up and then get out that way. <laughs> anyway, so we've we've hooked it all up. We've he sat in the cruiser Ute with it in reverse or whatever he had it, you know, like foot on the brake, get in gear, turned off, chock the crap out of the wheels. And then um, my mate said to me, he said, Oh, well, I got it stuck, so I'll do all the winching and the hard work and I'll get us out. And I went, No, I'm not getting in your Ute and doing the brake off, brake on thing. <laughs> <laughs> No way. I said, I'll happily do the hard work on the turfer winch. So an hour and a half of turfer winching, I was maggoted. But we ended up skull dragging this thing around and up and out and stuff. But, yeah, when we first got out and we looked to see how close it was, and it was just sort of just going over and over and over and over, you know. And now, knowing now what I know about rollovers, I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't end well at all. Yeah, that's the yeah. sketchy thing about, you know, driving on properties. If, you you know, your tyres are a bit worn or you don't have the right tyres on, these things mm. can happen pretty pretty quick. And it was all that combination, this Patterson's Kerr stuff and the, you know, the time of year and the soil type and just, you know, I was just like, just added up all wrong. And, um, yeah, she she was a little bit, a little bit of a pucker moment when we first got out <laughs> and realised how close we were to going over. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, yeah. On a lighter note, 
what about the funniest thing that's happened to you while you've been out? Um, I've had, oh, I don't know about funny at the time, but funny, like I've had to look back on them and laugh. So I, I had some time up at Charters Towers hunting Chittle and I'd had a hell of a run on them, like just shocking. <clears throat> and I came across a mob, probably about 15 deer and a stag. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty good odds for me. And I spent, I think I spent about an hour and a half stalking in. I got into about 40 metres, so I was really close to where I was starting to think, okay, I'm, I'm in, in range now. And I'm I'm just sort of, I think I was, I wasn't on my hands and knees as such. I might have been on my guts or something, but I, was, I know I was really low to the ground. I look over my right shoulder and here's this mob of about 37 steers just walking in, just young steers walking in going, what's this thing? We're going to go and investigate, you know. They're walking over and I'm just going, fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> So I've just frozen on the ground for about 10 minutes and they come over and they had a sniff and whatever else and ended up just walking off. And I'm like, oh, thank God for that, you know. The deer had moved on a bit by that stage, so I had a bit more work to do. So another 20 minutes, I'd made it a bit further. The deer are standing under this stand of trees. And they're just standing there relaxed as some were lying down and some were feeding and just doing their thing. And I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is going to work out. So I sort of go to range it. It's like, oh, 32. Yeah, okay. Oh, this is good. So I start to come up. I thought I'd draw and shoot. And this bit of bark, it would have been six foot long off a gum tree, about two feet across, just fell right next to him. It just went, <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> it just they just took off and i was like you're kidding me you're absolutely kidding me i was just i was just kicking and cursing and carrying on at the time but you know looking back i've just i literally have to laugh i'm like if there's just nature doing its thing if i wasn't there i wouldn't have seen it i wouldn't have known it wouldn't have ruined my day but you know if just, you went again, there in the, it, if you went there it probably wouldn't have happened <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and look, I don't know if it's overly funny or not, but just it's one of the things you just go, Murphy, let this fuck off. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those frustrating, funny things you look back <clears throat> and you're like, everything was against me. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. But at the same time, you know, you just think of times around the times around the fire at night with the boys and some of the carry on that that you have and yep. the chat and the banter and you know, just priceless laughs, mate. Absolutely, oh, that's it. you know. That's it. Just priceless. So speaking yeah. of speaking of chittle and stuff like that, what about top five dream animals? Uh, mate, I got asked this the other day. Uh, top, it's hard because even I reflected on what I said then, and I was like, oh, <laughs> couldn't even change that. You know, it wasn't top five, just just number one. But um, elk has always been up there. Um, but even though, like, I, I don't really have and never been a bucket list sort of a guy, but it's just been always something about elk. And, you know, I think for a lot of Aussies too, it's just we have our deer species here. Yeah. And our and our reds and our samber are, you know, big animals and whatnot. And then you look at an elk and you just go, dude, you know, and you look at the antler growth and, and what happens there on an annual basis and the size they amass and, you know. Yeah, it's insane. You know, it just... They're just a just an amazing amazing animal, and the, and where you have to go to hunt them too, you know. Um, 
I think that's a massive part of it. And, you know, we're all, we're all in this cause we love adventure that, that side of it. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it matters how many times you've gone to the same property. There's always that little, that little tingle on the back of your neck about the adventure that you're going to have. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, yeah, hunting elk, um, would, would be a massively cool adventure. Um, so on a par or a close second, uh, only recently would be a caribou. Um, I just think they're a, they're not an animal that you hear about many, particularly Australians hunting yeah. um, or wanting to hunt. Um, and I saw some stuff on Instagram the other day and I just went, you know what, that that would be pretty awesome. That would cool. be pretty bloody awesome. Um, and, again, they're, they're also just this, this really awesome-looking animal, you know, if, if – and I – don't know enough about the rules and the regs to know if I'd be able to bring a taxidermied head home or whatever, but imagine that in your house and as opposed to, you know, the, the fellow or the, the reds or the species that we have, people would be like, what the hell is that? You know, most people wouldn't even have a clue. Most people don't know there's deer in Australia, you know. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, but from there, mate, I, again, I don't know this in necessarily any order, but I'd love to hunt ibex. Yep. Um, and to be honest, it probably is something that's on a bucket list, um, like an actual bucket list. I, I lived in Shanghai for two and a half years, and when I was in China, I, I was lining up a trip to hunt in Mongolia, but it ended up not coming off, which I was really disappointed about. Um, and so to have had the opportunity to go and hunt them and then not um, it's it's an animal that you know. I said, see, um, Benny Seller is putting up photos of the silent pursuit yeah. guys and stuff that that he helps line up and stuff, and the hunts that that happen over there. And it's just like those those creatures in that place and that adventure would just be phenomenal, absolutely. Yeah, following when um, uh, Mick Rodolfi went over there um, on his, it was that was just incredible watching watching all that play out. Yeah. Yeah, just I don't know. And there's something I think is something really um I don't know, there's like an ancient like aura to them because of where they are and the 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 thousands of years worth of history and the the, the peoples there hunting them um that you know, we, we literally don't have here because they, you know, the deer species we have, not that they're a deer, but you know, they're, they're sort of the equivalent here. They're they're new and introduced in the last little while in the big scheme of things. It's, it doesn't have that aspect to it. That's it. Um, I think that capra species, like Aussies, have a have like a love for those those different capra species because that's mm. most Aussies' bread and butter is chasing goats, you know. That's it's, it. You know, that's it. Everyone's like, you, you you know, first try and get a 30-inch and then you try and get the 40-inch <laughs> and then try and get, you know, those, yeah. those lucky number of people that have got 50-plus inches, you know. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah. yeah, same thing with chasing other capra species. You know, it's just yeah. A goat was my first large game animal, you know, a medium game animal, but you know, bigger than a rabbit or something. Yeah. But you know, and I I skinned that tanded. I've still got the rug, you know, um, and um, it's it's tucked up somewhere special. But I've got uh, others that I've shot shortly thereafter that I get out of bed every morning and put my feet on. Yeah, you know, and it's my wife hates it, but it's like well. That's that's special memories for me, you know, the times, the mates, the experiences, the adventures, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's it's, it. Um, yeah. But I'm up to number four, red deer in New Zealand. Yep. 
You know, we we talking about New Zealand before we we kicked off, didn't we? And you know, I haven't been to New Zealand, been a lot of other places in the world, but I'd love to hunt reds in New Zealand again. I think I think that's just something. I don't know. It's just, it's just something else. Yeah. They just um, seem so well a part of the ecosystem. Well, not they're not a part of the ecosystem, but they just seem so so natural over there from watching all the all the hunting and stuff that we you know that's that's what yep. Aussies watch is just hunting over the ditch. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and then I'd I'd love to hunt something in Europe. Um, and I say something, but you know, an antlered an antlered creature of some kind. But um, again, lived in Europe for a couple of years and. The, again, the, the, the culture and the background that goes with, you know, hunting deer over there um, or, or, you know, something of that nature yep. um, is just, is just um, sort of that, that other aspect. I actually have a, have a guy that there's a guy that I've met recently uh, here in Bundaberg who's, who's English and he has a friend that's got a Scottish I don't know if ranch is the right word, but um yeah, and old mate's got a hunting lodge and rah rah, and I was like, "Oh, really? <laughs> Can we have a conversation?" <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, Europe was never big on my list to travel to. Like, I never really wanted to travel, but you know, after mm. watching like Ben um, go over and chase, you know, mouflon and stuff over there, and then chatting yep. to the couple Danish guys that I had on the podcast, chatting to them about road yep, deer, yep. I'm just like, cool. Yep. Yeah, maybe, road deer. Maybe awesome. I do have to get awesome. over there, go chase road deer one day. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And and even even you know, um, uh, the, the European boars. You know, there's something else, mate. Yeah. You know, um, and I've been in in sort of areas of Germany there where they are, and I've often often uh, driven through and gone, oh, you know, I'd love to pull up and just go for a walk and see what I can see in some of these forests. You know, it'd just be amazing. And those again, those forests as distinct from the Aussie bush, you know, and I know we have very, very vast and varied, you know, um, types of bush and scrub and stuff, but, you know, a European forest to go and hunt deer or boar or, you know, just be, just be something else, I think. I take it from where you're, you are, pigs are your bread and butter species. That's what you grew up hunting, is it, or? Um, well, I first cut my teeth on goats, but yeah, okay, pigs yep. and goats. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, not not a lot of rabbits up this way because it's – I mean, there are, but they're nocturnal because yeah. it's so hot. Um, and then, you know, foxes and cats and that sort of thing. But, you know, you wouldn't shoot a cat though, would you, mate? No, no. <laughs> um, I have no but yeah, what you're um, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> As I pull um, out the cat skin stubby holder. <laughs> cat skin stubby holder. No. Um, but, yeah, like – Pigs, I think, for sort of anyone through central Queensland are bread and butter, um, but more and more so, more and more and more prevalent, more and more prevalent um, with your rooster yep. coming through different areas. Um, I do have a block here um, not too far away that's got rooster on it. Yeah, I've just got to get the time and the opportunity to, to get out there. It's frustrating, but, you know, life. I bet. I bet. Um, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I, I, something else about hunting pigs. It's it's something I really enjoy. Well, yeah, that's that's you just named two of the things I haven't hunted here in Oz yet is uh, rooster and um, and pigs. Pig, pig. I have, yep. uh, you know, the I've done a couple trips earlier days when I was first getting into bow hunting, chasing pigs in New South Wales, and didn't even see any sign. You know, 
and then over here, yep. Kangaroo Island used to have numbers of pigs, but I think that uh, yep. the parks have gotten pretty much onto them and there's there's nothing left since the bushfires yeah. from over there. Um, oh, okay. They hit them on the head pretty hard. You know, there might be some in some areas, but yeah, I've done four or five trips over there, not seen a single one. Uh, you know, mm. I grew up going to um, like Wilcannia in New South Wales mm-hmm. and... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Wentworth and all of that. Never even seen a pig up that way, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. It, it's funny though. So, in some places, they're um, a lot more patentable, but, you know, there's a whole lot of discussion there about pressures and changing of habits and whatever else. But <laughs> so my, my last trip out to the place that I can hunt at Mara, I, uh, sorry, the trip before that, I knocked a few over and I was like, okay, well, I'd been out there four or five times before and I'd sort of started to work out patterns and habits and, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's a 8,000 acre property. So there's a bit to cover. And I knocked a few over and I'm like, okay, I'm sort of, I think I've got this dialed in. So then the most recent time when <clears throat> Barry and Dave came out with me, I'm like, all right, boys, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go, blah, blah, blah. So, so we pull up at, pull up at the first cattle grid and, unload and we walk down to the creek and I'm like okay this creek goes from the yards here it's about four or five clicks down to the river and you know down along here but at this point at this point at this point you know there's water and whatever I walk in there and it was obviously there'd been a whole bunch of cattle put in that paddock and <laughs> all the all the water holes are stomped out and it's just like and, and absolutely nothing against obviously the farmer that's his right and his entitlement to do but it's just like oh that's just gonna throw everything out you know <laughs> and of course it did you know the the pigs weren't in that gully the sign wasn't there and you know those sorts of things and just had to sort of then go okay well reassess reassess where do we go now what do we start doing now and sort of start the game over again you know so i, I sort of it's it's one of those opportunity not those opportunities it's one of those properties where I've experienced it before that, you know, the just the nature of that it's a working property. Yeah. Different things can change at different times. So you could go there and, you know, you can walk the 20 clicks in a day and not see a single thing, you know, and then you come back the next day. Like the second last time I was there, I pulled up at the cattle grid at 6 o'clock and I'd knock three pigs off by 6.30. That's nuts. You know, I hadn't walked 300 metres down the creek, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's just fun and games. Yeah, it's funny, like... Um, growing up listening to my pop talk about hunting New South Wales because, you know, he'd go out and shoot, you know, a couple hundred pigs and that's that yep, was yep. what they did, you know. They'd shoot rabbits yep. rabbits for um, coin, like the supplement money, yep. and same with foxes, yep. and they'd go on hunting trips for pigs and, you know, they'd shoot a few goats here and there but not as many and he'd never he's never mm. shot a deer. Where you know yep. I've sh- I've shot plenty of deer and I've shot two pig. Oh, I've sh- shot about four pigs, but yeah, three in Mexico and <laughs> one in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's amazing the difference over the years too, isn't it? You know what? Uh, you know, the rabbits were uh, the staple income, yeah, a source of food. You know, whereas why would you shoot a deer? Nobody wants that. Yeah, know? well. Over here, deer have only just started blowing up in the you know the last twenty thirty ish years. They just weren't Max. weren't around, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. But speaking on the meat side of things, what would be your yeah. favorite thing to cook with with hunted game? Um, my favorite 
Oh, man, that's tough. My introduction to Fallow was something pretty special. So it was actually at the property where we nearly killed ourselves. <laughs> um, we were staying in a, in a shearer's cottage which had a wood stove and before we'd gone out, I can't remember which day it was. It was the near-death experience day or another day or whatever, but it could have been a different trip there altogether. I'm not sure, but we fired up the wood stove overnight and everything because it was cold and then in the morning we knew we were going out, so... It was going to die down and just be a nice temperature, you know, for cooking. So we wrapped up some fallow um, backstrap and a bit of onion and something or other else and just in alfoil and just put it in the oven. And we went and hunted all day and came back and, mate, it was just – I think it was it was all the things. It was all the hunting. It was the fatigue. It was the hunger. It was the everything. But, oh, it was just sensational, yep. you know. And then the other – top shelf uh hunting memories for taste that i have is is just is i think it was also a huge combination of all the experiences i um had done this big five five six night backpack hunt again with with my mate paul who's passed but we in the morning it was about day three or four could be five four or five we hunted some goats. We both took a young meat goat each. We butchered that up and had that in our packs and, and hunted through the day, knocked off a number of good pigs. And then late in the afternoon, we were just sort of getting to a spot we thought we'd pull up for the night. And we were hunting through this thicket of trees and there was this sort of clearing in the middle. And um, we're standing on the edge of it, just sort of looking around, sort of, sussing it out you know and we hear the noise of these piglets and just that <laughs> coming along and i love piglets so they give themselves away <laughs> and <laughs> they're like little like squabbling kids you oh, know always, no. always... <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not meaning to rub it in i'm really not i just love they're just cool little creatures you know but i ended up shooting one because they're so cool yeah <laughs> so i knocked that over and it would have been all of i don't know 12 to 14 inches long and, and however high. But knocked the, knocked the legs off that, took the back straps and everything. And that night, mate, just over the fire, we had Chevin we'd, we'd got that morning. We had pork we'd got that afternoon. Just the stars, the, just the whole works, mate. And I'm sitting there yeah, like with this, with this ham drumstick just going, this is, <laughs> this is, how good is this, you know? That's awesome. And uh, just – just dirty old goat and a bit of pork, you know, but, mate, it was just just everything about it was sensational. Oh, goat's amazing, um, especially young ones. That's uh, I shot a nanny one time and didn't realise that there was a, you know, oh, probably a four- or five-month-old kid standing on the other side of her, so it's going straight yeah. through her and taking taking him out too. And I put, him, I put him in a little Weber tray, just... Scun him, gut him, and put him in a Weber tray. He was, you know, once he was scun and gutted, he was no bigger than a hare. So he was just yeah. perfectly in the Weber and just cooked that yep. until the meat fell off the bone. And, oh, it was oh, some nice. of the best best goat I had. Absolutely. I've, I've same thing, brought goat home and, you know, served it up to people and they've just, how good is this? You know, like it's so, it's, just, it's not even rated. You can't say it's underrated because it's not rated. No, <laughs> Nobody... You know, I, I guess there's there's certain ethnic groups that eat it, but mainstream 
you know, people in Australia just don't, you know, it's, it's just underrated. And it's the most eaten game meat, game meat in the world as well. In the so. world, 100%. <laughs> I, I ask that question commonly of, of people when discussions come up with that, that sort of, hey, do you, what is it? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And you stop and think about it and then you go, what? It just blows their mind. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's one of my fun fun party facts. <laughs> yeah. But to, but to put a different, slightly different topic on it though, uh, I – can't go past a bit of sweet chili flathead uh, for as a hunting, fishing yep. aspect is concerned. Yeah, it's just a personal favourite. A lot of good flathead country up here. So, yeah, when you get out and catch a few, a little bit of sweet chili and, and whatnot, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, chatting to um, like Queens, Queensland blew my mind chatting to um, Mark and Ian um, when I was on their podcast. Um, I've just had a complete uh, – the hunting the – hunting, uh, campfire podcast uh, yep yep hunters campfire podcast but yeah chatting to them and you know we're chatting about carp fishing and you can't <laughs> take like you can't catch nope. carp and take them and no nope. you know um because you know sometimes down here i'll i'll turn them into thai fish cakes and yeah yep ian's like what you can take them i'm like what you can't yeah. <laughs> mm. blows me blew nah. me away and it's something that's frustrated me for many, many years. But it's, yeah, it's a whole other discussion with regards to the the so-called representative bodies and what they do and don't do um, and what they should and shouldn't do and the, the absence or the, tran- not the transparency, the just the absence, they're not seen, you know, things like that, which just there's so much evidence to say this is, this is, it's, there's almost, how can there be an argument against it? Yeah. Well, there's not an argument for it being put forward by anybody who has anything that carries any weight to say. So, what can we do? You know, yeah, exactly. It's frustrating. It, it, it absolutely blew my mind when he said that. But, yeah, speaking of these types of perceptions, how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? Um, that's a really tricky one to answer. <laughs> Um, that's why I like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you like it, and I know I knew it was coming, along with the zombie apocalypse weapon. So, <laughs> uh, can we skip and go to that one? No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, look, I, it, I think it depends on a bunch of things, and I think as hunters who, you know, irrespective of where we live, be it um, that we we live in a a metro environment or we live more regionally uh, or even, you know, rurally, um, I think the fact that we have the experience when we do go and hunt on properties of talking to rural people and rural people have that and, and people who live in rural towns are just more connected with the reality of life and where meat sources come from. So I think if you're talking in those circles or you're talking about those people and and perceptions that they might have, I think it's a lot more, it's just a lot more um, down to us, not the one I'm looking for, but it's a lot more in touch with the reality. If you want to eat meat, it's got to come from somewhere. Something has to die, be it a butchered, you know, paddock steer or a killed wild animal that's the reality and they're just you know like i remember as a young tacker living on the western darling downs going to mates properties and their dad had just shot 
hung and butchered or you know gutted a a, a, a beast, and you're like, okay. And he's like, here's the heart. You want to have a look? Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. You know, and and my mate who was allergic to milk, uh, cow's milk, he had to milk his own goat because his brothers and sisters would milk the cows. But hey, dude, you you don't you can't drink that. So guess what? You're gonna milk your own goat. You know, and obviously eggs and that sort of stuff. You know, it's like that that was that was life. Yeah. So I think in those circles that you know, apart from people going to properties and doing the wrong thing, I think hunting is um is accepted you know it is accepted as something and and the 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 taking of animals to you know get meat is a reality of life i think it's where that disconnect starts where people either don't because in this age i don't day and age i don't think there's an excuse for ignorance but the disconnect where you know meat's wrapped in in plastic and woolies and that's all i know but i still eat it but, hey, I don't really stop and think about where it comes from. Or, you know, um, I think that um, it shouldn't be eaten. So, therefore, everyone who does it is evil or, you know, a murderer or whatever. Um, and I don't think there's a hunter out there that at some point in some social circle hasn't been called a murderer, you know, um, yeah. or someone eating a ham sandwich or having a cheeseburger, you know, <laughs> like... Um, or wearing leather or whatever, you know. Um, so that's a long convoluted way of saying I think, I think unfortunately that what I've seen change in the outward, um, it's not promotion is not the right word, but the, the image that the non-hunters can see of hunting these days has with social media become more detrimental and i think that there's people out there who don't actually appreciate or understand what it is we can do at the moment until as as you're experiencing at the moment someone comes along and says we're banning bow hunting in your state yep you know what i mean and even then those people go well, it doesn't affect me i don't care um but, you know, within the circles of people who are doing it, people who, you know, 20 years ago when I started the forums, the, you, like a, a, anything that was on the internet, you never showed an animal with an arrow in it. Yeah. Ever. Ever. You, no, you, no way. It's a bad look for the sport. We know it's the reality of how something dies, but it's just distasteful. And it's not so much that the anti-hunters are going to like the – the, the photo any less or the image any less. It's more so that people who accept hunting or are indifferent to it are going to see that and more likely not like it than just a photo of a person with an animal or the photo of a dead animal anyway. And it's detrimental, therefore, to the image and, therefore, that person is probably more likely to be against what we do than for what we do. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there, but, yeah, when it comes to, you know, the person who gets upset over seeing a dead animal on social media, you know, they don't care if it was killed with a knife, a bow, a gun, you know, they don't mm. care if an arrow's sticking out of it or not. They might point to it when they're talking about it and say, look, there's an arrow sticking out of it. But at the end of the day, they don't care how it died. They just care that, that it's dead as they see that animal as a, you know, a sentient being. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. But as, I guess to me, Sorry, it just points to the change yeah. in in what now is um, 
uh, I guess, acceptable to put out there that 20 years ago wasn't, you know. Um, and the community as it was, I suppose, would have a voice to say or would, you know, people within the community would say, hey, dude, that's not cool, you know. And for the most part, people who did those sorts of things, and that arrow in an animal is just an example, but people who did those sort of things would pull their heads in, you know. They'd, they'd pay the respects to the guys who, who you know, the the Dave Whitings, the Dave Penders, the, you know, guys like that who who are the forefathers of the, the pastime. And they'd go, well, dude said something like, yeah, I should should probably listen to that. Yeah, and then saying it for a reason, you know. Um, it's yeah, and it's interesting again having lived overseas and seen certain cultures and certain practices, and then come back to Australia as well and seen, you know, the the difference um, I experienced in 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 you know as I was a teacher at the time, even the cultural acceptance of that in that profession. But hunting is another example, you know, the, the acceptance of hunting in New Zealand or in the U- in the US versus versus what we experience here. Um, it's it's um, it's something I worry about, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's something you touched on though, but it all depends on where you are because even in parts of America where it's, you know, people are disconnected from their food, is where mm. hunting's an issue, and that's that's a great point you brought up. Sure. Um, but how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters in a positive light? Um, <clears throat> so I suppose I think the only way that each of us can do it, really, and it's kind of a bit cliche, is just one person at a time. Yeah. And I think it's the meaningful connections that you have with people who um, are interested in listening. And I don't mean preaching to them or, you know, going around knocking on their door and saying, have you found hunting yet? But, but you know, like uh, be it at the smoker table at work or at a social gathering or a barbecue or whatever, you know. It's interesting for me, again, because... I didn't hunt for a number of years and then I started hunting again. In that interim, I obviously met people in my professional life and in my social life who were just like, you do what now? Yeah. I'm like, well, actually, this is my, this is the background history I have in it and these are all the things I've done in the in the sport, in the industry and in the pastime and, you know, this is the, the time, the, the money, the ca- sacrifice and the commitment of the various aspects of it that I've that I've done as well as actually go out and hunt as well as you know as my father and blah 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 and um they're like oh dude have no idea tell me about it you know or people are just going oh okay yeah that's cool and not really want to know anymore but you know that that opportunity to engage and engage in meaningful respectful dialogue and i think it pays to be able to have stopped or to to have made a point to stop and think about when that conversation is going to happen, because if this is a sport, anyone listening to this podcast, if this is a sport or this is a pastime, I don't like using the word sport. Neither that, do I. That you, <laughs> no. But, you know, if, if you're getting into it, you're new to it, you want to get into it, stop and think about when someone asks you about it, what you're going to say, because it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. And, Zach, you've listened to my first episode and my mate Barry was there. And it's, it's a really cool, unique story because he was an archer who liked shooting archery yeah. and doing targets and stuff like that, but didn't really – was just curious about hunting. And he asked me questions and then came hunting and next minute it's a Mae Keen bow hunter. Um, 
that's 20 years ago, you know, uh, and we're still friends and, you know, it's just a really, really cool, really cool story of that sort of opportunity to engage on, in meaningful dialogue with thoughtful conversation um, and connect with that person as to where they're at and where you're at. And some people don't want to connect and that's fine. You, you'll work that out pretty quick. Yeah, no, that's you, you definitely hit on a, on a number of great points there. I've found that, you know, you said smoker room. I quite often bring venison and goat to work when I have, you know, whether it's cooked or if I cook it at work, you know. Um, there's been a couple of times mm. I've gone out spotlighting and, you know, out, you know, till 2 o'clock in the morning and then rock up mm. to work with half a deer in the in the esky and nice. bring it out nice. into the work kitchen and start cooking up, you know, venison steaks and cut up some heart and that for people, you know, who live in the city that have never experienced any of that type of stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, doing that type of stuff and, you know, letting them try wild game. And if they get the taste for it, that's good for you because then they might have your back in the future. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Oh, even, you know, I, um, I get the, um, a couple of uh, shooter magazines, you know, Sporting Shooter, for example, is one. And I, I read them at, at work and I'll just leave them on the table, you know, and the boys will pick them up and have a look and ask a few questions here and there or something like, oh, yeah, my uncle's into this or, you know, like it's just that normalising of it to some extent because it's just not in a lot of circles. It's just not It's just not normal, you know. <laughs> um yeah, I've got but a few that, of the bow hunting magazines and stuff, and yeah, when I you know travelled overseas, and you know, I'll, I'm not afraid to sit on an aeroplane and read a bow hunting magazine in front of people because it it initiates discussion, and you can have these discussions whether they're. I tell you what, it. an interesting discussion is when you walk through Shanghai Airport coming back into the country just before the 2008 Olympics, and you have your bow case with you, <laughs> and they pull you out of line. They go. We want to see what's in that, and then you quietly shoot your pants. <laughs> oh, you broken up there for a second. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> Sorry, is that better? Uh, yep, that's that's better. You just cut out. You just said that you um yeah shit your pants and then cut out for a second. Oh, because yeah, basically because I knew I wasn't walking out in a hurry. It was going to be a long, long conversation with with a poor communication skills <laughs> on my behalf. Uh, <laughs> but I ended up getting my bows through into the country. It was okay in the end. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've only ever had troubles coming back into Australia with the bows. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, just yeah, right. Eh? Just you know, going through Melbourne. I try and avoid Melbourne now. <laughs> <laughs> Too many of those, nice work. those vegan baristas there working working their second job <laughs> at the, the checkouts. <laughs> nice. Since you mentioned it, I skipped over it, but I'll I'll skip back to it for you. Zombie apocalypse weapon. What are you going? Oh, I was joking, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you dug yourself into a hole. If if you didn't mention I it, know. I would have would have left it out for oh. you. Am I allowed to? Yep. Go well, like a, like a like a primary assault weapon, it'd have to be. I'd I'd have to go with my forty four magnum lever action. Yep. Beautiful. Good stop. Good stopping power. Headshot. You're just done. You know, and I can fit ten up the spout and one in the chamber. So I've got eleven rounds. So I have to worry about it. And then I think you've got to have something a bit short range. You know, like a machete or, you know, a, a mace or just something that just <laughs> obliterates you when when the shit hits the fan and yeah. they're just you know too close. Um, but I do subscribe to the, um, to zombie lands, you know, like checking toilets, wearing seatbelts, 
great movie. Yeah, great uh, movie. Both of them, both of them are absolutely great. I love them. Double tap, yeah. uh, maybe. <laughs> Forty-four, uh, probably not. No, definitely not. That's that's when you just st- start stomping. <laughs> that's it, eh? That's it. Put your big boots on and just get into it. And yeah. then finally, what is hunting to you? Oh, hard one to summarise again. Um, it's a lot of a lot of things, really, because I guess because it's been part of my life, you know. Um, uh, growing up with it, exposed to it younger, because you know that was just it was what we did as a family, what my father did, the camping and outdoors and and all that went with it, and. And then, you know, those memories of shooting arrows in the backyard as a kid with my brother and, you know, maybe not shooting them straight up in the air and running inside because we're shit scared we couldn't see them anymore. <laughs> you, know, like, um, you know, and then uh, as a as an older teenager and whatnot, you know, got my license of independence and, um, like I said, sort of had my own gear and got to go out and do my own thing and I got heavily involved into the you know, around the forums and that was it for social media. It was our forum and that was it. So it was a massive undertaking of time and effort. And um, like I said before, you know, like certain amount of sort of sacrifice as far as time invested into it where you could be out hunting yourself, but you've got a responsibility to some extent. And then, you know, journeys like um, just meeting different people and going to different places as part of that. Um, and then even more recently, you know, the, the Brackenware thing, the podcast thing, you know, um, uh, just, um, and then again, you know, sort of, I guess, reigniting the forum side of it again, you know, um, nearly 20 years later since I first started them and then touching base with, with guys through social media as well, like yourself for, as a, as a new friend, but then again, you know, um, I don't know if you know the boys with, um, uh, Urban to Outland, um, Scotty and Jamie, yep. you know, they, they're, they're on the forums 15, 20 years ago, you know, and obviously my mate Barry and, and as I said, mentioned before, like, you know, um, fellas, uh, Al Kidna and um, Al Kidna won our first ever f- um, story comp on the forum, yeah, well. you know, like just, um, and I've still, I've still got the article on the computer or on a hard drive somewhere with the photos, 21 or bust, it was cool. Um, you know, and, and I've had so many good conversations with Al, but it's just, it's just so much, man, you know, like it's, it's meeting people like yourself. It's, it's talking to people or introducing them to the sport. It's my mate Brett in town who, who's, you know, busting to get out and do something, but for various reasons, you know, time is really hard for him to find. And, and the times they have been out, Murphy showed up every bloody time, you know, but, but the, 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 the passion he's got for something that, he's only really dipped his toes into and seeing that, you know, um, and then the converse side with, with Barry 20 years later or the same thing. Like I have photos and, and stuff here, media cuttings of my father's from the seventies when he was up at Mount Isa in a shield that the club presented him when he, he left um, um, the club or the town and, and moved back down this way. And yeah. There's so much, so much nostalgia and life and passion and, you know, I, I listening to guys like, like, like Benny Sellers talk, you know, and, and his literal same thing, lifelong exposure to it, you know, and I just identify with so much of what he has to say about the same stuff for the same reasons. 
yeah so it's i don't know i can't no that's, i'm talking shit but no, i can't sum good. it up mate that's you know? good that's good that's, <laughs> that's why i like it it's it hits hits everyone different and um everyone comes up with something different but something that everyone can almost relate to as well so um just quickly jumping onto another thing before we end it the bow hunting forums sure. How did that yep. all start? Because that was before my time. I, you know, I yeah, young whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, I was 2007. I probably, you know, started posting yep. my first um, bow fishing photos up. Um, maybe 2008, yep. uh, around that time. Um, and yep. that, but that was social media. That was as Facebook was kicking off. Very start you know? of it. Yeah, yep. Um, so that's where I've jumped onto it. I've jumped onto it sure. on all the Facebook side of stuff. So all I've known is yep. Facebook and then then Instagram and all of that side. So tell us yep. a backstory of the the forums, how it started, um, when it kind of slowed down, and then when it revamped back up to what it is now. So um, it, it probably wasn't until uh, I met uh, Antonio Lara, whose name you might be familiar with, sure. um, and we started doing bits and pieces and, and he came on board to the forums. And I'm, I'm telling you this story to tell you the origin story a little bit, I suppose, but through the forums and discussions and whatnot, um, our friend Joel came up with the idea of a an annual publication as like a, a journal of the awesome stories and collections of stuff from the, the forums and just do it on an annual basis, but basically publish it as a magazine, um, which we ended up doing as Bowhunter Australia magazine. And then it became uh, Pacific Bowhunter and then it became Arrowhead magazine. Um, but we, we, were used, we used to spend a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time, you know, doing stuff um, with regards to the magazine and, and the forums and stuff. And, yeah. We just coined this phrase as talkers and there's doers. And we weren't talkers, we were doers. And that's, I think, where the forums originally came from. Oh, hang on. It's just cut out again there. Sorry. One second. Hello. Hello. There we go. It's, you got it's, me? It's back now. Um, right. Thinkers and... Where'd you go to, bro? Uh, what was that? Thinkers and doers is where it cut out at. Thinkers and doers. So, yeah, just thinkers and doers. Sorry, talkers and doers. Talkers you know, and there's doers, people sorry. who talk, talk a lot about stuff but don't actually do anything. Um, and that's just not me. Yeah. Um, I think that's why I can't sit still and I've got my finger in so many pies. But that's where the forums originally came from. So it was 99, 2000, and I was at uni. And um, like I said, I'd I'd um, joined up down at the Grange Bowman Club there at um, at North Brisbane. I can't remember the name of the road that it's on, but anyway. And I just I just wanted to learn more about what we hunt here. Yeah. And the internet was a new thing. You know, this is late nineties. Internet was a new thing, and um, I was getting on the internet and I was searching and searching, and all I could find was the stuff about American hunting you know, white-tailed deer and whatever else. And I'm like, well, this isn't any bloody good because it doesn't help me. So how do I start one of these website things? What's this all about? So I, I literally just went and then I'd, I'd come across forums. So I'm like, okay, well, that's that and that's that. So let's let's go out and have a crack and see if we can get one of these things running for myself. And through the process of doing that, um, yeah, I just came up with the name and learned how to register a website. Um, I don't know how, but I had a photo, uh, sorry, I had a 
a version of Photoshop, and believe it or not, I used that to design the website. Because <laughs> um, basically, you, you know, imagine a screenshot yeah. and then you cut it up into bits and pieces and then all those bits and pieces you can put different hyperlinks on and the guts of it was the forum. So, you know, like that's sort of how it all pieced together to start with. And um, and that was that, you know. I, I knew that I didn't know enough to be able to run it myself, to be able to, to um, answer certain questions or whatever. So uh, through the web I'd come across a couple of fellas. One was a guy from the sunny coast called Glenn Newell, and he was a guy who's, like, shot more game than we could poke a stick at, makes amazing trad bows, that sort of thing. And the other was Adam Greentree. And I just reached out to both of them and said, look, I've got, you know, not enough experience to do this on my own with certain aspects of it. So I'd love it if you guys were keen to come and help out. And they were like, oh, absolutely. You know, we need this sort of resource. It's, you know, obviously it's going to grow into something in the future as far as this web, interweb thing is concerned. And um, did I just say interweb? <laughs> you did. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, mate, it just went from there. And hand over fist, it was was you know dribs and drabs here. There's a guy called Matt Fowler from Orange. Um, he's on Instagram. Um, he was one of the first blokes to ever join up. Al, Al Kidna was was a very early days. Um, like I said, Scotty was was um, from Urban to Outland. Jamie not long after. Um, yeah, and then just uh, Ben Benny Sellerus was a moderator in the later years. Yeah, well. um, Pedro Impuro was on there. He was writing articles for the magazine. Um, you know, just just so many so many people. It just blew out. And then I think by by two thousand and nine, we were getting ten million hits a month. Yeah, wow, that's insane. It was it was cooking. It was absolutely cooking. And we had um, uh, uh, what's his name Dudley uh, John Dudley. John, yep, John Is, Dudley. Yep. John Dudley, he, um, you know, he, he wrote his couple of articles for the magazine, he'd post on the forum, giving people coaching advice, Brad Murphy. Um, and Macca, Macca came on when he was a young fellow and hadn't shot anything, you know, this sort of stuff. And um, just all these, you know, uh, Ben Honky and um, uh, uh, what's uh, terrible with names. I know faces really well. I'm terrible with names. Young guy who shoots deer a long way away these days with the rifle. Um, uh, that's terrible. That's really bad. I have to look him up on Instagram. But, you know, just – and it's one of the coolest things since then is that um, I've seen these younger guys grow up, you know, like literally grow up. And, you know, they've got kids and businesses and, you know, they're their own people, their own, their own adults now doing their own thing. It's just been so awesome. But, yeah, we used to run raffles for RFDS. We raised 10000 bucks one year and 8000 awesome. bucks the next year and do those things. And we, we, um, we organised the first Bowhunters uh, education uh, workshop at Orange Bowhunters Club with the New South Wales Game Council. So we got that up and running, um, and yeah, just that was it. it was just it was just That's your community. Insane. It was like Facebook groups are now, mate. But it was just it was their own community, and it was where we could post stuff, ask questions, share stories, um, get information on you know, gear or photography or four wheel driving or whatever you know. And then group hunts, mate. There was there was group hunts left, right, and center, you know. And there's guys now who are literally still lifelong yeah. mates. That's you know, like literally. And it was, yeah, and and that's again part of that passion that I couldn't put into words before, you know. And um, it's um, it was why, 
in these more recent years when circumstances have been such that the the, the forums as they are now um, just the sort of haven't sort of gotten the love that they should be, I suppose. Um, and they're very glitchy and there's a lot of um, problems with the software that I just went, well, you know what, that, that side of it's dead. It's not, it's literally not recoverable by, by IT people. It's, it's just stuffed. So let's just start fresh and AussieBowhunters.com uh, is where it's at. And, you know, we're just sitting there now. It's four, 450 members, something like that. That's and, awesome. Yeah, we have our conversations and, you know, just go from there. So it's great. That's sweet, man. That's sweet. Great to hear. Like I said, um, I think I accidentally joined the old one and I'll have to sort out how to get onto the new one. Um, if it's not on an app, I'm useless. <laughs> That's, and look, and it's the only it's the only sort of hang-up. We still use the, the same well, same software. It's obviously a more updated version of it, the V-Bulletin software, but it's, it's not overly app-friendly. You can get it on like Safari or your browser on your phone um, and hold the phone long-wise. It works a bit horizontally, whatever. It works a bit better, but... Um, that is a little bit of a hang up, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so wrapping up anyway, man. What about social media? Sure, man. Where can people find you? Um, where can they check out the Brackenware products? Where can they listen to the podcast? Where can they check out the forum? Yep. So uh, yeah, just as just mentioned the forum. The easiest um, web to uh, website to remember is AussieBowHunters.com. Um, and I I kind of got the security screwed down a little bit tight just because of experiences in the past. Um, and the previous website was hacked and destroyed in about 2010, and we had to start all over again, which was really disappointing. Uh, so sign up to that, and I'll approve it and do everything I can as soon as possible for those interested. Um, you can find me as Bracken Hunter uh, on Instagram, and I uh, Brackenware is just Brackenware um, on Instagram, and then we have the Hunting Republic podcast, um, which is my own little new venture. Three episodes deep so far. Uh, <laughs> learning curve. Thank you, Zach, for all your help. Yes. So. So all of those pages, uh, the Brackenware um, and Hunting Republic and whatnot, they're also on Facebook. Um, so you can find the Bow Hunters Group of Australia on Facebook. Um, there is a group and a page. Um, so yeah, but there's uh, I think it's, mate, there's about two and a half thousand people in the group on yeah. Facebook. So I'm like, oh, come on, boys, come over to the group. You know, <laughs> come over to the forums. <laughs> but yeah, it's all good. It's all good. We've got a chat group going in the background as well. So oh, that's, that's awesome. been really good the last few weeks. Yeah, it's all there, mate. It's searchable and whatever else. Yeah, sweet. So guys, check it out and get over. Have a listen to the the Hunting Republic podcast. It's a it's a good listen. Like you said, three episodes. Three, yeah, three so far. And uh, there, there, there will be a Brackenware, something or other, uh, along the same veins coming out soon. So um, it'll be different. Let's keep it that way, mate. It'll be different. So we're still we're still dialing that in. We're still uh, still perfecting the format, let's just say, that it will take. But um, myself and, and Bernie have got our heads together and we're really excited about what we're going to be doing with that. So, yeah. Well, when you when get that out, I'll have to get you on and give you – give you some publicity via this way and yeah, learn all about it. Yeah. That'd be awesome, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh, all good. And likewise, you'd, you'd be good to have you on, on ours for, yeah, be good. Be good. We'll organize it soon, mate. We'll organize it soon. Definitely. 
Easy, Definitely. mate. I really appreciate you coming on and it was great chatting to you. Happy days. Glad we could get over the little technical glitches at the start. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> mate. Exactly. All right, man. Have Too a good easy. night. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.